Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? An extra special uh, episode with David Wayne, one of my favorite directors, writers, uh, performers. He's just incredible. Uh, you've heard me mention many times uh, the film Wanderlust, which I enjoy, and we talk about. Boy, if you're into Wanderlust, you're about to get some good insider scoop. But also just good stuff about filmmaking, comedy making, all that good uh, art making, life and love making. Uh, David Wayne was the perfect, you made it weird guest, and uh, uh, so let's get to it. Uh, no tour dates to plug. I am in New York happily filming uh, the pilot, which is so exciting uh, for HBO with Jed. Uh, I'll keep you posted. Um, but right now we're just in pre-production, and it's just very, very exciting. We're, we're really, really getting ready to go here, and that's, that's great. I can't wait to tell you more about it when I have more. In the meantime, enjoy David. Our sponsor is MeUndies, which I'm very happy about because I love, I love these. 90%. I don't know if you know that. That's the percent of your life that you're in your underwear. And underwear gets old fast. You know that feeling of putting on soggy, old, saggy, gross underwear. And you need the feeling of great-fitting underwear that is two times softer than cotton. And most of all, isn't saggy. Get that crap out of here. We don't want saggy undies. So you need to know about MeUndies. MeUndies.com. It's the most comfortable underwear you'll ever wear and it's insane how good they make you feel i'm actually currently wearing me undies i hope that's not an overshare this is an overshare podcast so i will tell you that they sent us some and they are wonderful very comfortable in all the ways you want and uh <laughs> some of the ways you don't that doesn't make any sense comfortable in the way that you want and now MeUndies isn't just for guys. They've launched a new uh, All of Me women's collection, which is a four-piece line of undies specifically designed for the female body in all of its complex, gorgeous-as-hell glory. So check out the photos yourself, MeUndies.com. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird to get 20% off your first order and free shipping. Save even more when you buy a pack. They guarantee you're going to be happy with them or your first pair is free. Once you feel MeUndies on your body... You're never going back. Go to MeUndies.com slash weird for 20% off and show your support of the show. They really are wonderful and comfy and wonderful and good. Enjoy David Wayne, everybody. Yes. It's 102. It's so hot. Please sit here if you don't mind. This is Scout. I'm sorry that I was late. No, when, when, you're, when your person said you were running late, oh. I was getting cozy for, for a 320. Oh, my God. For a 320. 320. I know. That's, that's the L.A. thing, right? He's an late, you're 20 minutes late. We actually, this is not, you can wear these if you like, uh, up to you. Cans mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is the industry I've seen them. term. We often, it's often like my friend, like if I ask a friend of mine to be on the podcast, just kind of like a chum, they'll be late. <laughs> so, we, so we're already establishing that we're not friends. <laughs> you have out-neurotic'd me. <laughs> Are you doing this? Yes. I was just watching The Simpsons today. Yeah. Because I found out they're all on the FX app. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's awesome. You can watch, you can tell it to play a random episode oh and it'll God. just play. I feel it's like when crazy. my kids discover that, they're not going to. I mean, when I discovered, actually, not discovered, but I just sort of at one point decided to watch Simpsons every day when it was on. Yeah. And I never stopped. I mean, or and I now. Guess on TiVo, I think. Yeah. Like be, in the 90s, I watched so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. 
You just got to get somebody's uh, or have a login, <laughs> I guess is the proper way to plug this. Right, right. And then you can watch every episode. So I'm just burning through season three. My girlfriend hasn't seen it uh, as much as I have. And there's an episode where Homer prevents the nuclear meltdown. And he uh, and he goes, think back to your training. And they're showing him which button to push, and he's playing with a Rubik's Cube. Right. Then it cuts back to present day where there's an impending meltdown, and he has the Rubik's Cube, and he goes, this is all your fault, which <laughs> I laughed out loud going, I was alone. This was about half an hour ago, and I went, he has it. You know, that's sort of like absurd. <laughs> you really like that stuff. I, don't you You like kind of like oh, yeah. comedy breaking the rules just a smidge? And just thinking, I, they think through the joke as if, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please, extrapolate. I mean, we have begun, in case you're wondering. We yes, just, we that's just what begin. I was curious about. I love it. I love it. It's I, a slow uh, dive in. Oh, we're here. We're doing it. Well, you have a Rubik's Cube. That seems like what we would start with. It feels like that's the way uh, Steve Martin used to start his shows, too. He'd be like, you know, we're not going to start yet. And then Buddy, he could just go on. And then you've heated right? up my cockles and balls. Right. Well, I mean, that's everything. That's the Rosetta Stone. What, Steve Martin? Yeah. My favorite stand-up. Of course. Of I mean, course. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, mine too. I mean, he's he was, just, he's the reason. He's the whole point. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but he's all about bending those rules and oh, that yeah. ultimate. I, I will admit to uh, at points in my career earlier, usually earlier, I don't do it anymore, but talking about like, have we begun? Like that sort right. of like, what was the cover? You know, like right, being exactly. like, what is the show? $5? Like the absurdity that you paid $5 to watch a man. And the absurdity that you're, yeah, and he would sort of play as if the show never started <laughs> until it was over. And that's the key. <laughs> that is the key. So like yeah. beginning is one of the worst things. What is it like? On a film, the first day, right? I'm very curious. And you're starting. There's no way to kind of like trick yourself. I guess you could roll on rehearsal like to, or, or like to get into the groove quickly. Because, yeah. yeah, I do think it's the very first shot of the first day of something is often awkward and weird. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you should always budget to reshoot the first day on the last day. Is that right? Well, because by that time, you're, everybody's in a groove. Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows their characters and the piece. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. so much that you've been editing. Do you remember what the first shot, what was day one of Wanderlust? One of my favorite films, which I've Thank you. you. It's, I love I think it's a perfect comedy. I think all your work is great. Oh, For stop. some reason, Wanderlust is like, oh, this is exactly what I was looking for. I'm I think so it's glad great. to hear that. Well, I mean, you know. We I'm, could talk about it the whole podcast. I'm very proud <laughs> of that. I'm proud that all the, most of what I've done over the years has been, um, uh, polarizing, I guess you would say. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Did people not? Well, I'm not playing coy. Like, did people were they like, oh, fuck, Wanderlust? Well, we yeah, don't like it. Totally, Wanderlust was a huge bomb. Uh, I didn't know that for Universal, and it was. I knew it wasn't huge because I asked Jed. Right. Jed did my podcast, and I, I literally one of my prepared questions was, "What happened with Wanderlust? Oh, Why wow. wasn't it huge? Oh, I got to listen to that." And it was very brief, and it was just kind of like. Could it have been the title or something? Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I happen to love everything, including the title. Well, I do too, even though it doesn't make sense. But we, <laughs> we call it out, I think, in the movie, if not in an outtake. But I think that, um, well, who knows? I mean, all the, who can predict the public and so on? But yeah. what, I'm just, what I'm happy about, though, is for everything that I've done, it has its, uh, its loyal followers who think yeah. it's the greatest thing ever. And it has yeah. the people who hate it. And even among people that... Uh, say that they're fans of everything I do. They're like, but of course, your best thing is blank, and it's right. always something different. <laughs> so that's nice. I, I think that's a good thing. You know, it's like Kanye West. It's different, but similar. He's like, even if you hate me, at least you feel right. something. Like I'm doing this thing that does this thing every time. Like you said, it's polarizing every time. But it's funny that you ask that because the first shot we did, or at least on the very first day, 
this was an exception, was one of the most, probably the most famous scene in the movie, which is Paul Rudd in the bathroom mirror. Get out of my face with your dick. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was day one? You know, we shot basically in the bathroom, mostly on day one. So I think we mm. shot Jordan Peele bugging him in the bathroom. The horse walking yeah, in. And then, yeah, uh, and then him in the mirror and stuff. And I think uh, it was the end of that very first day. And I we were, can't uh, believe we were, it. We were so, I remember we were, almost out of time and we were like should we just bump this we're like no let's not bump something on the very first day let's get it done let's just meaning bump like not even do it yeah or do it the next day or we had actually at many points considered not doing it because we're like it's such a tangent who cares like it's weird it's you know and so such a fine line between a joke that is a waste of time and 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 that's like the greatest the point not the point of the movie i i have well but i mean some people were like you know the movie's forgettable that one scene is goes in the record books you know (laughs) So who knows? <laughs> it was I saw it in the theaters. It's up there with like Borat Dicks. Oh wow, the Dicks scene in Borat. Listen, I, I, anytime Dicks yeah. are involved, you'll people. find that I'm I'm a big fan of of my own work, so I can't help. I say that. <laughs> I say that all the time. I, just, I always have to say like I could either not say it or I yeah. could lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was that? Uh, maybe you've talked about this a lot, and you can always steer me away if it's too obvious. But what was that scene like? Where you? I feel like you're the kind of guy that's going to be lobbing lines to Rudd, trying to make each other laugh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We do that. Um, well, my, Marino and I had written that script, and that was always part of it. Um, and It was in the script because it's such an unlikely uh, – I- as it was in the final film, about the first half was in the script. And then the second half was Rudd all on his own, really. Just wow. just totally going <laughs> off. And, you know, I'm going to put my dicks in. Just, oh, my God. It was so <laughs> funny. And we're dying. Erection selection? Was that a riff? That was in the in the script. I'm, I mean, the, the, the first part of it was something that I think was at least in part inspired by the way I talked to myself in the mirror, or in used to, especially growing up all the time. I would yeah. make, just look at... At, at the mirror and pretend I was in some weird situation yep. and just discuss something. Yeah, how you, and, as a young person too? Yeah, was particularly as a young person. That's what I did too. Yeah. I used to say, welcome to the Pete show. I know that sounds a little Me crazy, too. Oh, but dude. I was young and I would be like, it was my real world monologue. I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked about this, but I will <laughs> tell you now. Uh, I have an ongoing series that I do called The David Wayne Show. <laughs> And it usually happens when I'm walking down the street. Which it's in its 46th season. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's a good that's show. True. That's running. And it usually ha- – it started, honestly, yeah, when I was a, maybe a toddler yeah. in the bathroom or something. Oh but I usually when I'm walking down the street – but what's, what's interesting is I don't walk down the street that often anymore because I moved to L.A. two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, But when I'm in New York, when I'm almost anywhere else – it's it comes back and yeah. we have another episode and I apologize to the audience ah. for that it's been away for a while. <laughs> but I also used to look in the mirror. Uh, I remember because we had a pool growing up and in the pool house there was a mirror, and my friend Stuart and I used to look in the mirror and make faces. Or I would do it by myself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I would be all crinkled up and then I would be all wide eyed and yeah. like be two different characters. Yeah. And arguing and then my big trick though was that I would take my wet bathing suit and throw it behind me without looking and it would land on the hook on ah. the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got you all the viewers. Yeah, that's, that was, that, that was, was good for ratings on the David Wayne show, yeah. which only exists in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> so funny. I still, uh, my girlfriend and I live together, and she'll see me. She'll, I guess it's not catching if I'm not trying to hide it. 
I will often, when I'm done getting dressed, like especially if it's for an event or like put a jacket on, I'll make some sort of freeze frame and like look in the mirror yeah. and like move my body, but nothing else. You know, so I'm like kind of panning back and forth. It's just for me, right? Because it's so weird that there's this thing that's kind of like a TV, but it's you, but it's a mirror, exactly. But we've always had them. And you know what? I have two sons now, <laughs> and uh, I've caught my younger son doing the, exactly the same thing all the yeah. time. Yeah, he's only four. It's all, it's <sighs> comforting too. I, well, I grew up uh, religious, so I kind of had this idea of God and angels or whatever mm-hmm. watching. So it seemed like a natural extension to put on a show. Sure. That sounds like a bit, but I was like, my life is a thing that's being observed. And then I was also observing it. So it's, I, I wasn't talking to God. I was literally saying. To me, it makes more sense than most things. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I just mean, you know, a lot of the world makes no sense. But, you know, I, it's one of those things where, like, you know, being not being crazy is the crazy thing. That, yeah. You know, I don't know. But also playing. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. It's sad to me. Like, I remember, I've probably said that we've done so many of these podcasts, I've said everything that I have to say. But I remember <laughs> when we were like 15 and we could get our learner's permits. And my friend Aaron was older than me. And so he got his license first. And he picked me up once. And I was like, I couldn't drive yet. And I was like, so what is it? Is it like a thrill? And he was like, no, it's just normal now. You know, I just kind of get in there. It had been like two months of right. driving. And I was like, that is so sad to me. Like, I don't want mirrors to be normal. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I look in the thing and I, I'm good to go. And then you get in a car. Like, it's an amazing thing. Well, you, you find, to, though, as you go through life, as you achieve your dreams, hopefully, yeah. they, that they become normal. And it's weird. You know? Well, th- that's the hedonic treadmill. Whatever you have just becomes right. normal. And I've certainly had many moments where I'm like, you know, on the set of the movie that I wrote with yeah. and I'm directing and it's a blast to do. Especially and like they came together, which took a really long time. Exactly. Yeah. And so every, there's and a then, dream. And every, oh, my whole, my career is, is a dream come true in yeah. every way. Like I, I'm living exactly in many ways <laughs> the dream that I had and it's crazy. But then of course I have days where I hate it and I'm uh, tired and frustrated or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hard to remember that this is like I'm in the fantasy, right. you know, because you do, you can't, I think it's human nature. You get used to anything. I think that's when you look in the mirror and make a silly face. Exactly. I really do. <laughs> or you try and imagine what little David, Davy, Davy Wayne, Lil Wayne. Yeah. Uh, How I didn't did you even... know my nickname growing up? <laughs> Davy Wayne? <laughs> no. Lil Wayne? No. Wayno. Wayno? That's what my friends all called me growing up. Why? Is it like Drano? Mm-hmm. Did you unclog the like, hey, we know your braino went down the draino and (laughs) that sounds unkind. It was not, it was like medium. (laughs) You know, this is a cliche area, but I like it. What do you think it was? The joke on 30 Rock was it some sort of corrective boot? What was it that brought us into comedy? For me, I I could tell Mm. you, and it doesn't have to be hugely traumatic, but you know, I got teased and stuff, and yeah, sometimes just a a little bit of tea. It doesn't have to be like they chased me with flaming spears. To make me want to cultivate some sort of hammy personality, what do you what do you think it was for you? It's so funny. After so many interviews, you know, in the age of podcasts, <laughs> you get interviewed more often than ever. Yeah, but I don't think it's, I don't the it's only ever time actually asked me that a very obvious question. <laughs> it is obvious, but I like the obviousness. Um, but I think that I mean, yeah, I was the kid who wasn't good at sports. Certainly, only child. No, I was the youngest of four, and I have three much older sisters. I think that's <laughs> – forget sports. Yeah. Before you couldn't get your wiffle ball, you had three much older sisters. Right. No, I had a different – I had a I had a lot of attention of a certain kind. And then – and uh, 
But uh, wait, I, do you mean you got a lot of lady attention? Like it was kind of a feminized? Well, no, I just I basically had four moms really. Yeah, and three of them were like cool aunts, you know. Uh. Like, and so it was great. And I got it. I actually got it. I definitely was a performer in the family and a ham in the family because yeah. I was a little kid and I, without even knowing how to speak, I was the one who everyone was laughing at and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the little boy. Look at the oddity. Look at the surprise, you know. <laughs> and my, you were a surprise. Well, my, my sisters are nine and 11 and 13 years older than me. And my, wow. my parents had a relapse. Or Your something. sisters are nine, 11. Yeah. And 13. Years older than me. Nine, 11. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I feel guilty every day for having caused that. Never forget your sisters. Um, um, sorry for my stupid I don't know. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I'm just too, sorry for not getting it right No, away. no. <laughs> no, no. That was my fault. I deem that joke ungettable. <laughs> so you love it. You, you were okay there. Oh, so, and then, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I had a very uh, functional household, pretty much, and supportive parents. But I, I was, yeah, I was the kid who didn't play sports and wasn't in the same way part of the group I guess maybe in some ways and then I had that I did go sort of find the back door into right. getting attention maybe and and that's how I became just like a goofball because there has to be a naturally occurring need for attention it wasn't like for example I would be like oh my parents would argue so I would put on shows you know right. like I'd do little, little songs and dan- literally songs and dances to kind of like pacify everybody and then like but then there was also I think a naturally occurring I just I gotta be in the show. But totally. like, I, I mean, it. I loved, <laughs> I just loved, yeah, I loved any performing, being on stage, you know, anything like that. It was always. You didn't have to be to coaxed into it? Like, no, not really. From was, a young age, you were like, I'll be in the play or Yeah. Whatever. Oh, I was all into that stuff. It's interesting. And, and my kids now are very uh, hammy, but they don't, they're not interested in, in that in any way. They're young, but, you know. Sure. I wonder, sometimes I worry, right? Like, there are all these things you could periscope yourself. And talk to a small audience. The you could Truman show yourself the mm-hmm. entire day. Sometimes I wonder that could be enabling. Like you could be like, oh, I have a, a YouTube channel that's very popular, and I'm 13. Or I wonder if it like kind of puts water on the fire, and you're just like, yeah, being famous is just something I do. I don't know for fun. I, I, I sometimes I feel like our whole cultural world we live in now is very it's moving so fast, and yeah. I feel 80 years old sometimes. I'm like, it's hard to. <laughs> I mean, I'm aware and I keep track, but it's like. It really is. My kids are growing up in a totally, totally different world. Yeah. You know, and the iPads and the, yeah. the internet is just crazy. Do you try and, what do you, you got like a screen policy? Well, we have, uh, you know, it's a negotiation between their mom and me as to <laughs> what it is exactly. But we have, Wednesday is a no screen day. Oh, really? Uh, so they have one day where they got to figure something else out to do. <laughs> and the rest of the time, I just try to keep it in check. But it's, you know, it's that balance between you don't want them to grow up necessarily completely totally different than their friends yeah um but then again a lot of the friends you know a lot of people in general i don't know how everyone this generation is going to grow right but you know i think that's something that i relate to in your work there's a longing in uh a longing david there's a longing in your work there's a longing but there is if when why do i love wanderlust and why do i love wet hot i thought the netflix series was just perfect thank you i don't know i i feel like i was like because the first the film was so troubled with the rain and everything i was like <laughs> if they had trouble this time i couldn't tell at all i i imagined getting all the stars and stuff and i kept yeah. looking for those things where i was like well you know bradley cooper was probably only available for one day never i i thought it was really really I'm well so done. glad i'm so glad it never you. showed our main uh our main um production challenge really was that we had 
per minute of screen time that we had to produce exactly <laughs> half the amount of shooting time as we did for the original low budget movie. No way. So uh, we had just had to call on technical advances and experience to go twice. Well, you did fast. have a lot of experience at that point. I, yeah, I hope I had so. More experience. I was definitely more actors. confident. Yeah. 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 Well, the longing that I'm talking about, though, is like, see, I'm a camp guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm a camp guy. I like camp. East Coast. East Coast camp. I went to camp in Maine. Where? South China, Maine. What camp? Friends camp. Okay. It's a Quaker camp. Sure, sure. We weren't Quaker, but it was a great camp. One of the reasons I ask is when I was 19, I did a tour of summer camps uh, around Maine and New Hampshire with a band, which I formed for the purpose of doing that because I missed going to camp, but I felt like I was too old to be a counselor. Oh, my Jesus. So you, you're a real camp guy. Well, I really was into camp a lot. I went you know, all through my teenage years, and then but, and when I was 10. And, yeah. Know. Okay, so... Sorry. No, I was interrupting you, and then you didn't... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... Here's something. People like, I feel, I'm going to lump you in. People like you and me, going to assume. We like movies and TV, because when you go to a club or a party... People still have conversations that are hilarious and move the story forward. <laughs> when you go to a party in real life, it's too loud, and you're eating meatballs with toothpicks, and, and or there's dancing, and it's just like, nobody knows how funny I am. Camp, it's all just these great little scenes, you know what I mean? Interesting, it, You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's quiet. There's like card games, there's sports, and there's fun, and there's conflict. There's relationships. Well, to me, it was always the natural cinematic I'm surprised there aren't way more movies about camp. Yeah, you know, there aren't because it's it's naturally and organically heightened reality, you know, and that's what movies are. And I just think every day at camp felt like a month, and yes. so much happened, so much drama because you're teen and teenagers. Yep. So it just seemed, and everyone's like put together in a petri dish the first time away from their parents. It seems like everything happens at camp. Yeah. And then that's kind of the the heightened joke of Wet Hot, and one of them is that you know. Everything happens in one day. Right, know? right, 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 right. They go and do drugs, and yeah. it should have been twelve hours, but well, it was like fifteen. And in, minutes. and in the new one, there's a there's a whole court case, and there, you know, right, 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 right. Oh, I was trying to think of the new one. I went with the old one. Forgive me. Oh, but yeah. what? So <laughs> we'll move on. Oh God, it's wet and hot in this room. It is both. Well, it's 102 degrees. Yeah, it's really, and we're at the upper floor of the meltdown. In a box. Just I want people to get a sense of this. Yeah, but it's actually not warm in here. It's, it's, it's not too bad. Perfectly fine. I got hot because I made an error. Yeah. <laughs> I've made an error. Errors can make you hot. What was your camp like? And did you love it? I went to a Jewish camp. Jew camp. Uh, for Jew camp. <laughs> like it's a little close to like Auschwitz. But <laughs> I know. Yeah. You don't want to say Jew camp. Um, <laughs> Why did I correct you and say Jew camp? Now let me just correct you. Jew camp. <laughs> Um, internment camp. <laughs> oh God! So uh, no, but we it was um, it was it was a Jewish camp, and mm-hmm. it was in Maine, and I loved 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 it. Camp what part Logan. of Maine? It was in the central Maine. It mm-hmm. was uh, near Waterville, Maine. Okay, yeah, uh, that's where my ex-wife is from. No, no fooling. Come on, get out of town. Well, been to go. Waterville many times. So that's where we actually used to walk to Waterville uh, to go to the movies, which was twenty-three miles. And every summer, you could go as often as you want. Was the rule as long as your whole bunk went and you walked. 23 miles? So we made a day of it. It took us from 9 to 5, and then we'd go see a movie. And it was great. You would walk 23 miles? Yep. That's crazy. It's not 
that hard. It just takes a lot of time. I will tell you this, David Wayne. When I went back to my camp, which is still there, mm-hmm. I had this memory. I was like, we used to walk to a hamburger stand, mm. which is also – it was one day of the two weeks. It was two week camp. Each session was two weeks. And we could walk to that. And uh, I remember it taking a very, very long time. But I was like – I was probably just like a fat kid and like didn't want to do it. And then I drove it. It was several miles. It wasn't 23 right. miles, but I was like, it's no, they, they trudged us to get those burgers. But time was different. You know, you weren't on your phones, and I don't know. We weren't. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. There were no phones. Like, one day of the whole camp, we would watch, like, all three Star Wars movies right. or something. And But even that was communal. And that finally brings me to the longing is, like, we have Wanderlust where it's, like, communal living. That's, like, a, adult summer camp. Definitely playing out my longing, for sure. And then you you doing the tour. Like, I understand. I feel that too simultaneously i'll be like reclusive and be like i i gotta i gotta have doors for right. example mm-hmm. and then other times i'm just like no all the best times in my life are where my anxiety is low and i'm connecting with people that aren't just reflecting back my beliefs like just interesting fun people well we wrote wanderlust at a time when at first it was uh i was had a girlfriend that i was in and out of being engaged to, and I was had a lot of anxiety about that. Oh wow! And the you'd car- break off the engagement. Oh yeah, stuff like that happened. But then, <laughs> a lot of so the movie, the original drafts of that movie were about a guy in exactly that situation. Uh. And then, as time went on, I eventually got married to and that then, woman. To that woman, yes. And then the movie became about a married couple uh-huh. uh, who live in New York in a tiny place, as we did. Yeah. And then, then the fantasy part became about exactly that, which is like I'd always fantasize about like communal living and institutional living, yeah. just because like, of camp, I guess. And I just loved that idea that you wake up and everyone's around and stuff's happening and people are cooking. And it's against you know? your instincts. Like you don't, you don't think you want it. We think we want to right. have our own space. But like everybody will be like, but you know, in college when I lived in the dorms, it was better than when I lived in the apartments. You know what I mean? Right. And I know that in yeah, when I lived in college, we had a dorm that was two rooms adjoining, one for three and one for two, mm. and we put all of the beds in the space for two people. And then, so we had one. The big giant room was just for partying and hanging out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. And then Ken Marino's character, which is brilliant, and he was in that room, by the way. He was? Yeah. You went to school together? Oh, yeah. All, everyone in the state. I didn't know. Yeah. What fun. Oh, yeah. What fun. So you, the, the idea of his character, which is really, I just, I, you know, I was just going to tell you to tell him. You don't need to tell him. I'll tell him if I, no. I'll, I'll, write it, I'll write it down. No. You know what? Email me tomorrow and I'll remind <laughs> me. <laughs> we don't need to tell him. I'm sure he knows it's great, but it's, it's a hard character because there is so much. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, uh, that there was a Native American uh, back when they were, you know, real uh, like living an, on the plains an sort of thing. I don't know if we can say engine. <laughs> okay, cut it out. The little engine that could. So they're sitting on the plains and there was this kind of famous Native American. I'm botching the story. He had this vision, probably like some peyote thing or maybe a dream or whatever, of a horrible future where everyone lives in rectangles and they're separated. So mm, they're like mm. kicking it on the on the slopes and you know eating dandelions or whatever. And then he's like, "You don't. I, I think the future is going to be this, and it's terrible." Then you see Ken Marino's character, and especially his wife and his son, who's so funny. I love the outtakes of the son. Yeah, uh, and what you use, but that is such a real thing. Like I know that feeling of visiting my uh, successful friends, quote unquote. 
and just being like, oh my God, you've built a mausoleum. Right. And it deserves to be mocked. Well, it, like it should yeah. be mocked in, in hopes that maybe they'll go, oh fuck, I bought a lie. Like I've been stuck in an illusion. It was so important to me that in their house that you saw a TV that was on in every shot. <laughs> <laughs> At least one. <laughs> and that's it. And that's, yeah. that's the, I, I mean, I, I will get uh, all hippie and conceptual here, but it's like, that's what's reinforcing the lie. It's like, it's right. money will make you happy. And the fact like, that, he, and then the Marino's character in that movie is like, I'm, I've won the game of life. You've right, lost. Right. Right. You know, and that, and that's, yeah, that's the, all the questions of one of like, did really? Are you sure? You know? Right. And then, but to me also, it reminded me also of when I used to come home from camp from every summer back to home in Shaker Heights with my parents. Mm-hmm. And I always remember feeling like the house felt so cold mm. and so sterile and so and just being home. I was always depressed, even right. though I loved my hometown and I loved my family and I loved my school. Sure. And but coming it's a culture from, shock. Co- coming from camp where you were in camp and you were out in the woods and it was, it was so basic. You know? Right. And I, and I do feel like it's an experience of one in some version of that that uh, every child should have. Right, of course. You know, I, I think about that, the, the communal living thing. I, I forgot where I saw this, but there was a video that was explaining it. It was like the idea was back in the day, uh, the really good hunters would hunt and they, they'd bring home all the, the meat and they'd feed the elderly and the sick and, and the weak or, or the people that were good at other things. And now we do have this Ken Marino's character. What's his name in the movie? No, uh, Rick. Rick. So we have, because I don't want to say Ken Marino's his way. You make me, t- I, I, you know, by, by the way, I'm 46. Yes. Yeah. And yep. I have just immediately this year, all the memories started to Is that right? fall away. So you, I'm glad I remembered it. the name of his character, but like. I run into people who were in things that I directed with big parts, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just think that the, the hard drive has filled up, and yeah. I can't replace it. I understand. You can't <laughs> rewrite it anymore. You have no. what you have, yeah. and from here on out, that's what you're going to have. And I'm going to sort of coast into the grave. <laughs> what? No, I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. No, I, what was I saying? I'm talking about Ken You Marino. asked his character, and then you asked his name. Oh, but his, the idea that, and, I, and we're all guilty of this to a certain extent, it's like, oh, I'm really good at, in his case, porta potties. And then he's like, so I'm going to hoard. Like we're all hoarding, right. hoarding wealth, the the Sky Mall touch, and and it's so. But then the anger that he has, you know, when he gets so angry, which is that's the compliment I was going to say, Pam. It's just like so hard. Two things to do the fart cha ching thing. I think it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. People just reel from fart jokes. They don't want to laugh at a fart joke. And then also they have to like be really, really carefully chosen. Exactly, <laughs> it was very well done. And then also how angry he gets when uh, Paul Rudd's character kind of tells him what to do, and you see the TV is being on. It's all this information that we're getting. It's like consume, consume, consume. Uh, you've made it. You've made it. You've made it. The, the statistic that like eighty percent of advertising is just to like reinforce a purchase you've already made. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, I got that from God. the movie Dave. But you know that idea that it's it's not to get you to buy. It's to get you to feel happy that you've already bought. Uh, and it's a lie. And then, and then, was it hard for you? This is something I've always wanted to ask you. Was it hard for you to come up with the conflict that gets them to go, "We're out of here. We're going to find a middle ground," which yes. was the placenta soup? Oh, oh, when they, oh, when they left the end, the end. Uh, yeah. Yes, I do remember. Now, now you're really making me yeah. go back in my memory banks, but I do remember a lot of discussion about, yeah, what exactly is the right trigger? Yeah, and. Actually, the ending of where they actually end up was definitely a, a lot of debate and a lot of versions of that. And mm. we had ideas where they stay, they went back to the uh, place, or we had ideas where 
they stayed in town near the place. They're like different levels of middle ground, or mm. not, e- or not even like they, you know, it just there was. Um, it was never hundred percent like for sure or right. agreed upon even. But the idea that I remember because I'm watching it, I'm like I'm one of those one of these people that I'm like I think I would like a commune. Like I'm I'm basically yeah. Jennifer Aniston <laughs> being like oh I think I could do this. Like if if this happened, I think maybe I could do it. And then I'm kind of like. I'm like, would I eat the placenta soup? They, they bring out the placenta soup, which is a right. real thing that hippies do, or some hippies. Yeah. And I'm like, would I just eat it? <laughs> I don't know. Or would I be like, fuck it, I got to go. I bought it in the movie, but I was wondering if your heart, you're the character in the movie, would you just be like, no, we're going to stay. I know it's weird, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. I don't know. I remember, you know, Marino and I did uh, painfully um, or shamefully little <laughs> research uh, for this movie. Mm. But we did go visit uh, a couple places uh, that were communes. And we went to this one uh, down south of here. And we both, you know, we but at the time, I, I guess, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I had a little baby at the time. Mm. And so did he. And we... Uh, we're both married, and we were just walking out of that place that we visited, which had certain things similar to Elysium in the movie, and we're just like, had that little tinkling of like, could we, would we? Ah. Because they they certainly have made huge non-conventional life choice, all Mm -hmm. these people, and we saw these people in flesh and blood, you Mm -hmm. know, hundreds of them at at this place, and they're all basically rejecting so much of what we consider important to get through the day you know mm-hmm. they've they've never ever on the computer for any reason you know um <laughs> and they don't have tv and they don't have any but they don't they don't they certainly don't they're not like yearning for it either they mm-hmm. just have a different set of things and um you know so it's it has that it has an attraction and then we talk about this all the time uh, uh communes i was going to say cults but you know what i mean so this co- communes and cults is the main topic of the that's podcast the, that's the theme okay. <laughs> on itunes <laughs> it's comedy communes and cults we're the only one uh but we have a lot of loyal followers that's good but the idea of guns or fucking always ruins everything like did you see uh-huh. the the source family like are you familiar with the source family no it's a great documentary called The Source Film. It's on, I believe it's on Netflix or iTunes. You have cash. I got to watch more documentaries. You have cash money? Uh, I have a subscription to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> watch The Source Family. It's very interesting. But like without ruining it, it's always one or the other. Every right. commune story I hear, the leader will start fucking children, like meaning underage girls, not like toddlers, but you know what I mean? Like she's 16, like you fucking asshole. Well, that was the, the thing that, that was also one of our main driving ideas is that ultimately human nature overrides all these ideas that we have that we would like to be what we what we see ourselves as being in an ideal way and that right. there's still a certain selfishness and you know basic needs that need to be met in human nature which are sexual and mm-hmm. you know sometimes even violent and male and female and it's just right. it's true and and people get greedy and mm-hmm. those things tend over at one point or another to win out um also, there's the, one of the inspirations for that movie was this uh, Swedish movie called Together, which if you have if you liked Wanderlust, yeah, you will love this movie Together, which came out in 2000, I believe. Okay, just write it down. And it's about a bunch of people who are living in a house together in 1975 in Sweden, and they're trying to live by the ideals, and it just is not uh, you know, that easy. <laughs> that's funny, though. There's another documentary that I reference all the time, which is called Happy, and they go to Sweden, and there's this low-income housing, but mm. it looks gorgeous to us 
it's like one kind of communal cooking area, and, and they have like a chore thing. Like on Wednesdays, the Joneses cook, and the people in the houses are like really, really happy. Right. But the, you know, the, the, then the thing with sex ruining things. Sex. I love the line in Wanderlust where she says, "I'm tired of people thinking of sex as something that has these huge life altering consequences or whatever." Right. Right. And she has to move because of her pregnant right. belly. <laughs> but like, I feel like society. So go. Let's take Ken Marino and in his McMansion sort of thing. Or you and I were. I'm wearing jeans and a belt. You know what I mean? And underwear. Like all these layers of like. To fuck somebody, I really have to be like, we're really doing this. You know what I mean? As opposed to if I was just wearing kind of like a sheet and right. my wife was here and there's her hot friend. And I mean, it's like, can we handle that? Right. And sometimes I feel like, in a way, when you're a teenager, for example, at camp, you know, the stakes are different and like everyone can kind of hook up. And we didn't, we weren't fucking right. 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 It's just like, you know, every, every atmosphere in your life and everywhere you go. It's different. And that's in a way why you hear about that uh, when people go on location shooting or whatever, or any, you know, dentists go to conventions and then it's like they so all... much easier to open up your pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even uh, I've heard that statistic for like pastors and stuff, place, like the least likely you'd be like, right. we get together, we're like minded, like people want to fuck. And what I find very complicated is that like we're never the same person. I, I've, I've made this analogy before where I'm like, my personality is like an underwater sandcastle, meaning give me a, a couple glasses of wine and, and I'm very horny, like I haven't had sex or jerked off in five days. Different guy. That guy might be like, David, please have sex with my girlfriend. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, and exactly. Like, I, and then I come and then this other guy shows up and he's like, David, get off my girlfriend. You know what I mean? That's like physiology. <laughs> exactly. What the fuck do we do? We're stuck inside of these things and we have, we have what we think our soul's opinion might be, our brain's opinion, our body's opinion. But I think what things. we don't, don't we as humans largely try to see where and how we can rise above our primal ways that we are, you know? And so, I mean, that's why, I mean, you don't eat meat, right? I don't eat meat. So yeah. that's How an example. I know something's wrong. But I mean, so I, to me, that's that's a, a human being making a choice to say to ch- choose something maybe a level up from what is right. our normal, natural. Everybody seems to do it that way, right? Know? And that's what a lot. I mean, everyone has their their things they choose that are like that. You know, I've heard that uh, the the meat thing brought up. Uh, you, you may have this one as well if you want. By the way, right, well, we'll just see. just know just know that it's there for you. I've heard the the meat thing be an example for like uh, that's that's one of those things where it's like let's oh let's have open relationships or whatever, and let's have that thing where if you really want to break it down. So here's Paul Rudd and, and he finds that woman who's so attractive and I saw her at the HBO part. What's her name? Malin Ackerman. I saw her at HBO and I was like I just love Wanderlust. Yeah. Like, I totally <laughs> terrified her. Well, that's good. But yeah, right. So she's like I should work with David Wayne again, and then uh, so that. Thing where the let's look at the the basic way to do it. I'm a regular person, and then I have my wife, and then I would just be horny for her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like the decent thing to do would be to go home and masturbate, or even more American, think of her while you have sex right. with your wife. That's the classic. That's the classic. It's like masturbating inside of your wife. And this is something I don't hear people talking about. Then the next thing you can go to is when people start going, if you meet uh, Tom Cruise, I could say to my girlfriend, if you meet Tom Cruise, uh, you may have sex with Tom Cruise because that's too good to pass up. So we do have this like weird rumbling in us that we go, there's some things that are too good to pass up. So we know that we want good for the people that we love. Right. But we also want to own them. 
And those lines sometimes are very uh, cultural and unquestioned. Right. You know, uh, where what's okay and what's not and you know I feel like it's kind of a stereotype but I feel like in Spain it would be like I met the Tom Cruise of salsa dancing you know what I mean and and had some kind of like wine fueled one time thing it would still be one time because that that sort of fantasy of Tom Cruise the built in assumption is Tom Cruise isn't going to be with you because he's Tom Cruise I I, and I'm don't have any fantasies about Tom Cruise myself but yeah anyway (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just interested, like, that seems like the rectangle nightmare of me coming home. I'm not saying, I'm not even saying I'm pro uh, open relationships or whatever. It is interesting to me that we've done our best to deny our, uh, uh, what did you say? That's our. I don't know. I was talking about like. Oh, uh, our natural uh, proclivities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've kind of put some chains on that. Right. But there's a price to pay. So then there's the hippies, and they take the chains off. But there's a price to pay. Right, it's like, exactly. Where the fuck everything do we go? has everything has ramification. Everything what has a price, and it's never that simple, you know. <laughs> but I find that that's true even in the smaller scale. Like if you're a single guy and you're dating, and you know you're trying to be free and open, but like th- th- there's never there's no simple there's no easy way through this whole thing. No matter what you, no matter yeah. which direction you take. What most people do, myself included, is you follow the herd. You go right. like, this is what most people are doing. And and you you see more people that now at least I seem maybe it's because I'm like a showbiz jerk or I live in L A but I meet more people now that are like my girlfriend and I have three ways occasionally or some or some sort of Ooh. like people will blur the lines maybe that's my we're kind of no I hear that around yeah we hang around all the celebrities you <laughs> <laughs> but you hear stuff that's like bending the rules mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so then that's supposed that kind of becomes the norm I mean yeah I mean I I also go through phases and I'm in one now where I just feel very cynical about the, the notion of super long-term relationships. And Is that right? I, I mean, I'm hoping to come out of that feeling, but it's just that notion that it, there's, you know, about seven years is about as long as it can take because you're really turned into other people. And then Interesting. if those same two next people happen to also be compatible, then great. And yeah. like winning the jackpot. But Right. Um, you double down. You double down. Yeah. But then for them, I mean, my parents always said like they're on a year to year uh, no way! Yeah, yeah they, and they were together renew. for fifty-two years. You know, but no way. To me, it's like, yeah, it's just hard to. I I, I feel like a lot of people I see around are either um, in relationships that are so hard that maybe they shouldn't be in them, or they do fall apart. Right. You know, um, if they last that long. Well, I, Liz Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, just did this podcast, and, and she surprised me because she's kind of a relationship. Or she wrote a very interesting book about marriage and whether or not it was relevant. And uh, the the pull quote that I got from it is that we put all these burdens on the modern spouse, which is best friend, uh, co-parent, inspiration, lover, right? All these things. Where back in the day, it was like, oh, that's the woman that heats up the turnip, right? You know what I mean? And you're like fucking a concubine in totally hay in the backyard. I mean, and no, uh, I don't know which is better, you know. <laughs> but she said she surprised me. She was like, "I think the next thing is to acknowledge that just because things end doesn't mean they're uh, a failure." I sure hope I'm not coaching you to get divorced <laughs> right now. But like, why do we have to live in this binary place? I'm divorced. Yeah, was that a failure? My dad, who's from a different generation, I don't think all, of it that way at all. I don't either. It's not. It wasn't. No. How could it be? No, and it's a huge chunk of your life that you you get so much out of, and you know, I I don't, I don't think. I mean. 
I guess my overall attitude about anything is I don't think of anything as a waste of time or an experience that I want to erase. It just seems right. counter to the notion of it's impossible. So why would you want to do that? <laughs> I wanted the idea of the seven-year thing. When I, when I hear about it, I have other friends that are divorced and their spouses hate them, for example. Like my wife left me, so it's kind of on me to hate her, and I, and I don't. But I do know people that got left yeah. by somebody and they fucking hate that person. And I'm like, we're holding – Another person, a three-dimensional, independent being, up to this kind of phony baloney fantasy. Everybody knows this. Like, I, I'm a fan of marriage. I like commitment. I think it's nice to have these structures in these places. I love weddings. I'll be the first to dance. You understand? But, like, I also understand that, like, being furious at someone for not upholding an eternal vow, it's like, you vowed. I know. I said it on a Tuesday. I, I agree with that. And I think everybody's too complicated anyway to – everybody's too complicated to hate, I mm. really think. It's just there's mm. no – it's impossible. It's it, the word. I, that sounds so stupid. But ba- basically, I do feel like to, to say you hate someone in total is painting with too wide a brush. Yeah, you know, unless they're just like uh, uh, an ant that that <laughs> turned into an eight foot monster and ate your family, <laughs> <laughs> which did happen to me. Which is, I, I'm just, I had to get out of that. It was the, an early draft of Ant Man. You were helping. Yeah. <laughs> you were helping with that. But you say everybody. I love that everybody's too complicated to hate, and that goes back to the idea. I wonder if it's in your rabbinical roots because that's a that's a I believe a Talmudic or I don't. It's extra biblical. It's not. I don't know. It. I'm not as familiar with the Talmud as you might think. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just saying you maybe you absorbed it. It's not in the Talmud. It's the idea. It's a, rabbin, a rabbinical thing. That an all-knowing God's an all-forgiving God. It's not just the Jews that say this. Sure. But it's that idea that if – this is one of the things of filmmaking. It's one of the things of storytelling. And we love it with, like, origins. And now we have this this taste of, like, no, I want to know why Lex Luthor is in, in the volcano. Why why does he right. want to blow up You always up want to feel for somebody ultimately. And right. there's always forgiveness. There's always redemption as right. a possibility. And, right. You know, yeah. But we want to understand their side of things, even more so – I mean, Breaking Bad is a st- the whole purpose of that is to go. Here's a murderer and a drug lord, and it's like, but it was the guy. And the example we always go to is Hitler. Maybe we can find a more interesting one. But there's always a way to look at something yeah. with uh, silent compassion, even though it's like you have to turn your brain off to do it. But also Hitler, I don't know anything about Adolf Hitler really, but like that's a, that is an example of someone who is just a punchline now and a cartoon mm. character and a, like a you know a notion like the, just the example of the worst guy ever. But who, right. who the, I don't know, you know, it's like right. And that's when we get really complicated. A lot of the stuff he did was really good. <laughs> I mean, I, you got to look at it from another lens. What he did for facial hair. Yeah. Nobody has. That was great. Plus, you know. <laughs> I feel bad saying it was great. He gave out bottled water, on, uh, you know, on hot days. and <laughs> Well, we do love those criminals that like the, the cliche almost of unloading turkeys on Thanksgiving. Your you're right. Whitey Bulgers and, and Denzel Washington in, in that movie. These are people. And I, you know, I try and think about that with – Whenever I feel like I have some sort of enemy, it doesn't take long to do the empathy exercise and be like, what am I like from their perspective? Like, who am I to them? Right. Like, and then, of course, it's also, though, uh, conversely, sometimes satisfying to just think of it like, but you know what? But that guy, just a fucking scumbag. Uh, <laughs> some people should just be locked away. <laughs> just forget it. Well, I call that sling blade. 
that's uh-huh. that's the movie Sling Blade. Is sometimes you don't want to empathize. Right. Sometimes you want a mentally challenged man with glass in his shoes. That's how he walked that way to whack another guy in the face with a Kaiser blade. And society needs an enemy, you know, and people need enemies. And it just helps them feel good about but, feel okay. there's order in the world because there's, there's, no, there's no yin yang if there's no enemies. There you go. That has been coming up time and time again. I did I did this interview, and uh, it was this uh, a Christian fella. And we were talking about – I asked him if he thought utopia was everyone believing in, in Christ. And he said yes. And I, I've just been – I can't stop talking about it. So the idea – you know, you, have you seen Adaptation? Yeah, of course. Where he goes like cop and criminal being the same side of the, of the same person. Uh-huh. See every other criminal movie for other examples of this, <laughs> right? We can't stop being told that that's the case. That, right. Like the Joker needs Batman. The you complete me in the dark night. But yet we still go around banging our heads on the walls. And I do this with my parents. I'm like, I wish my parents were more, quote unquote, enlightened or, or, or would lighten up in this way or this way. But like, I need them to be them. You know what I mean? Right. Or and, you wouldn't be you. Or I wouldn't be me. That's absolutely true. But then like, I also need um, TJ uh, Miller. My friend is an is a atheist, nihilist, absurdist. And I, I've never been like, have you ever... Wanted to read Ram Dass. <laughs> Why the fuck would I? You know what I mean? It gives me peace. And there are times when I'm like, I kind of want people to share that peace. But I also don't have it figured out. Do you, does this resonate with you? Of this course. Idea? Of course. Uh, and, and then, but I have to admit, there are sometimes people who either w- the cer- certain level of things that they espouse or the way that they espouse it makes me feel like, oh, fuck it. I can't always think of a good example, but just like sometimes people are so. Like, for, for religion is not one of those things for me. Like, I have friends that I love and I'm interested in anyone who's at any level of in any stripe of religious belief. Mm-hmm. But then there's certain other people who just, like, espouse, like, you know, just if just, like, out-and-out racism or something mm-hmm. where it just makes me feel like, I don't want to learn about your point of view. Ah. Like, there's, there, <laughs> well, there's this, cert- that's that thing of, like, there's some people where you're just like, that's just wrong. Yeah, sling blade. Yeah. Whack. So, um, Two quick chops. But I guess, you know, I do feel like, though, and, you know, in our hugely um, polarized political world and everything, I do think that it is worth, no matter what you might think of anybody's opinion, to just sit down and listen to their way of saying it. Right. Although, as much as I preach that, I will concede to you now, because you said that, I have a really hard time sometimes. Especially, most often, if they reflect values I used to have. Uh Because then I'm just like, look, I've been there. You know right. what I mean? It's very hard to have that inclusive. But you know, as a parent, what they teach you when I'm and learning over and over again is that level of empathy, even to points of view that you know aren't necessarily logical, is the whole way that you can connect with and then help a child. You know, oh, and yeah. so if they're having a temper tantrum and going off the rails because their marble fell off the table, mm-hmm. and you can't just be like, "Shut up! You're crazy! Who cares about a stupid marble?" Like that, even though that's where you want exactly it. how I feel. Yeah, that doesn't help anything. Right. No, what helps is to be like, you're really upset, aren't you? Because your your marble. I mean, this, I'm quoting from the books that say, yeah, this, yeah, you know, yeah. Because like, your marble fell on the table. That, I see that that made, that made you upset. Like, tell me why. You know. And you yeah. Just, then there is both way connection and I both know. way communication that starts that way. But people hate going backwards. I think, and and that that's that step back into your old self. But can you ever imagine if they had presidential debates where they actually? tried to listen to each other in any way. Yeah. Where they were just like, 
Oh, that's, let me tell me more about that. Like, I'm I'm here. I I don't agree with you, or I don't think I agree with you. Right. But go. I'm. I really want to understand why you think that. You right, know, right, like, right. Let me get a better sense of where you're coming from. Can you imagine? That's what uh, I always get his name wrong, so I'm just going to say it wrong. Uh, Tick not Han. I don't know his name. I always blow it. But he talks about oh Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Yeah, that's how that's you pronounce Barack, it. Barack. Yeah. Not Tick. <laughs> no. Barack Obama said. I wish Barack Obama would say this. <laughs> Maybe he feels this way. But it's like the key to peace and love or whatever you want to call it is compassionate listening. Yeah. Which is what I reference. Which is like it let take a group like um Al Qaeda or ISIS or whatever your enemy is, if you can somehow and this is what kind of I guess you would call soul consciousness, being outside of your brain and go like, I know you're my enemy, but I'm just going to listen without any sort of agenda. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of like you're saying they're taking notes and they're getting ready to be like, well, you're you're a fucking dipshit instead of what are we doing? That's not a bunch of hippies making a vegan meal together. No. You know what I mean? There's I no mean, collaboration. I've always, I mean, just like, can you imagine ever like in the history of political discourse, so one you know candidate saying to another like, you know what? That's actually a good point. I'm going to change my my point of view on that like but we do that in real life all the time i know you know it's like i all, every day i people say i'm in an argument or a discussion with someone i'm like actually i see what you're saying okay yeah you know let's move on yeah and isn't well, that a good oh my god how who wouldn't applaud that if you were arguing with your girlfriend and she or your wife and she just stood up at a podium and like in a very dignified way would look up at you occasionally but then also be writing furiously on a <laughs> note card to prepare her response right you'd be like it's been seven years. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've done that in couples counseling. What writing? Because you know you really have to let the other person talk. You know, uh, and so you like maybe just jot down some dig you've got, uh, <laughs> or counterpoints. some point you want to make. Do you <laughs> recommend couples counseling? I have found it. Uh, well, uh, what I will say is, I think yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, what's the more complicated answer? Well, I d- no, I think it's. I do think that it's been super helpful to me and getting along and communicating, and mm. also in um, general, you know, just any kind of counseling is any kind of taking time, investing time uh, in any setting. I think whether it's counseling, group therapy, twelve step, whatever, to just mm. stopping your actual life and. T- taking a look at your life. Seven to a place. Yeah, church, whatever. I think they're they're all different versions of taking time for yourself to to reflect on everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the greatest... uh, I usually say these at the end. Uh Uh-oh. I just like this question. I hope you do too. What is the greatest lesson you've learned about romantic love? About... No, I don't like it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Now I'll listen to it again. What is the greatest... <laughs> <laughs> What is the greatest lesson I've learned about romantic love? Yeah. You know, I feel like I, my honest answer is I feel like I'm starting from scratch. Mm. I, I, I'm, I feel like I, I feel in some ways – I'm 46. I've been through a lot of ups and downs. And I feel like I've uh, learned certain things, but I've probably learned more about what I don't know and what I, what, and that what I thought I knew was not really right. Mm. And so I feel like I'm just, just starting, starting over. But that means you're permeable and you're not like totally. rigid oh. and gross. No, I'm very permeable. I'm probably more permeable than I've ever been. I'm, I'm really – I'm just at a particular point in my life where I realize how little I know and mm. how, how much I'm wanting to learn <laughs> mm. about all things. And what about, what about parenting? You know, it's interesting in our 
in our fields or whatever. I think my main concern with kids sometimes is I'm like, I've, I'm 36 and I've had 36 clean burning years of just being in the service of myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I'm also concerned about becoming a crazy person. Uh, I'd, li- I'd like to have kids. I, you know, it's kind of like what you said. I'm in one of those times where commitment doesn't make sense. Uh, we're in kind of one of those times where we're like, our friends have babies and stuff. And we're like, we right. should have babies. So fun. So, because I also don't want to be a lunatic that's only inside, but I have to imagine that that takes some adjusting. A huge amount of adjusting, when especially if you're a comedian or you're in the in anywhere in the entertainment business, which is all about how do I serve myself every single day in every yep. way. Um, and <laughs> I was terrified of it, but I mean, and this is something I'm sure everyone or many people probably have said. Uh, it's almost cliche, but for me, it was that huge, amazing feeling of relief, mm. where it's like, oh, finally, I have a daily reason not to be navel gazing, you know, mm-hmm. and this like actual real life thing that like is not when I feel like it and not, you know, it's a commitment that is forever. And it's, it's, it's a, it's weirdly to me liberating and amazing. Like it's yeah, this yeah, incredible yeah. thing. It was just like, and it's, it's also very basic. Like, you know, you, you write a joke and you hope that somebody uses it and then maybe it gets on something and then it goes on and then people see it. And then hopefully that made their day nice and that's fine. And that's, <laughs> that's, that is great. And that's gratifying mm-hmm. and that's its own thing. But there's a much more direct thing of like, I gave my kid, some food that I cooked and now he's <laughs> now he's not hungry like that's yeah. very direct <laughs> fulfillment you know like, yeah 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 and or I he's crying and I held him and now he's not crying like that's yeah. like you're helping someone much more straight without any right. advertisers in the middle or anything. and somebody that really truly needs you like that that's the the exactly. model of love and for needs the you and only you and and mom you right. know in a, in a very specific way and I think so for me, I mean, yeah, I, of course, it's crazy. It's so hard and so tiring and all those things. But Do you feel like, uh, this is Joseph Campbell says that until the age of uh, 13, I think he says 13 or 8, uh, that the dad is just mom's hairy helper. Do you, right. have, do you have a hard time? Not a hard time, but do you acknowledge that sort of, or what's it like being a dad as opposed to the mom sort of thing? Well... Do you feel like the hairy helper sometimes? <laughs> sort of sometimes, but although... I, I think I did a little bit at the very beginning, but I think uh, not in any hugely progressive way, but I think we we split it up now a lot, you mm. know, and I think that we, um, you know, I have the kids a lot on my own, and so I've had to figure it all out. <laughs> you mean, are you are you like me where you don't have necessarily something always to do during the day or? Well, you know, it's funny, for for pretty much the entire time since I've had kids, I've been super, very luckily, busy on projects that have kept me working crazy full time, Mm. like in a structured way, Mm -hmm. pretty much the whole time with very little break. Mm. And I'm just now, we finished the Wet Hot American Summer, and then we did Children's Hospital season, which is going to come out uh, next year. Mm. And then I've had a few months now where I'm much more on my own schedule and like just um, having, having that extra time basically Mm -hmm. and and it's been totally amazing and interesting and i do fill up a lot of those cracks not with like writing that extra thing but with doing things with my kids yeah and so i'm getting used to it they're getting used to it how old are they four and seven four and seven i wish they were nine and eleven so we could call back the joke that oh my god (laughs) what can we do about this oh my god let's talk about absurdity and jokes because here's here's my thing 
It's a little bit like an abstract painting, I suppose. Like in the movie Wet Hot and, and the first time the ki- they throw the camper out of the car. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, do you remember that? I do. <laughs> that like? I remember. This is the Chris Farley <laughs> show. Well, that, was, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, but like, I feel like a lot of people claim a lot of uh, – this is uncaring of me, but a lot of like sketch groups might be like, we're absurd. Like people don't get us. You know what I mean? Right. There was a really funny Onion article about that. It was actually called – everyone in improv team balding or something, which I thought was really funny. But it's not just about hair loss. It's about, like, they're all kind of, like, getting a little too old for it. It's really mean but kind of funny. And the the troupe is very insistent that no one gets their weirdness. Like, that's why they're not, like, successful. So then you have what you've done with uh, Stella and the state and and your films. But, you know, that that thing is so exactly true of everyone who does this. You're (laughs) like, you know, if if people don't get it, you have to think, well, they're just they don't get it. But but it's great. And that's what I always thought. (laughs) And I guess more people agreed with some of the things when we did. But like, it's so ephemeral. It's so undefinable. Why? Why is that like weird, absurd, non sequitur? I know for me every day because I do this every day for a living. So I can say without a hesitation usually like you know somebody tells me a certain pitch for a joke or something I'm like that's uh, the weird the wrong kind of weird and yeah. that's the right kind of weird why I don't know you know but, but you oh, by rote like just by doing it over and over you, you've honed your instincts I don't know I've honed my taste and my sensibility and yeah and my and the you know I, I, I'm a big believer in taking the mystique out of the craft as much right. as possible but also and the same time funny is funny and you're born with it you know right. and you're born with an instinct for it and i just think you can learn 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 and it's not going to teach you to have that instinct i don't mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. And, I, and and oh you think it's naturally occurring i do yeah i i, th- I really do i think you can f- f- comedy mm-hmm. specifically no, I, get I think it. you can you can hone it you can figure out your niche you can figure out what you're better at but you have to have something to polish to you begin have to with. start with something <laughs> and i think there are people i know people who <clears throat> love comedy want to do comedy but don't have they're not funny right right <laughs> and there's nothing you can do i i, I say i'm a co- i'm a comedy conservative typically i tend to i had some really wonderful absurd writers on my talk show for example one of them was nate fernald who i think once a week would pitch during the interview so imagine you're a guest now on my talk show yeah he would pop his head out right there i'm like i don't like it like what are you doing you're interrupting us and he just wants to pop his head in and go Yell like Shrek. And that was it. (laughs) And then, like, it is that sort of thing. It's that type of plant that if we keep doing it, there's going to be Yell like Shrek t-shirts. Or it'll just die a horrible death. Right. But I had to go, like, that's me being a comedy conservative, being like, no, we're we're just going to do a funny interview. I don't want you interrupting it with Yell like Shrek. But are you being a comedy conservative or just... Going with your tastes, you know. I suppose it is just my taste, you know, and that's to me all it is, and that's hopefully what anyone does is you just got to go. You have to. The only way to do comedy, and like to, the business of comedy, is to like find the people that you think are like or that yeah. that you trust, and you, you, either as collaborators or as you know, if you're a network and bringing mm-hmm. in them, and then let them just let them do it, yeah, and, and guide them and say I like this, like. But it's is just, it getting out of your own way, kind of like letting that thing that that inner cashew that we're all polishing that is just our inherent inert uh, yeah, sense of humor. I think so, but I'm I, I yeah, I really am just fascinated by that. that, that you said the Onion article over just these, you know. I, in fact, I just saw last night's incredible documentary about the um, National Lampoon, mm. which is in theaters right now, uh, a few theaters, and it's um, called Drunk Stone, Brilliant Dead. Oh yeah, I want to see that. Is it good? It's so good. Watching it today. It's an amazing, amazing story. And one of the things they 
they chronicle is how the National Lampoon in its heyday was just so fucking funny. Like, mm. and, and, and they show a lot of the articles and stuff. And you can see that it was insane. It was incredible. Mm. You know, it was kind of like, in some ways, like the onions times a million. Plus, mm. it was the kind of thing where everyone was into it. Anyway, mm-hmm. but um, it was a certain alchemy in a certain time and a certain pe- people's brains that were doing it. And then there were later eras of the same magazine where they were doing on paper the same kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it just wasn't funny you know? mm. it was just like and you you yeah you can analyze you why but it just was they just didn't have it you know i see it with the onion and i i because i know that but i don't know national lampoon very mm-hmm. well but you do know when you're just like because there are these uh facebook now there's more i'm not knocking these but you can see the ones that aren't the onion you're just like right there's something there's someone steering that ship that's like that's just not what we do. Like, we wouldn't do that joke. I don't know what it is. Right. And as a stand-up, I feel that sometimes I'll do a joke and I'm like, I should really give that joke to somebody else because I'm not the kind of guy that says totally. this or this or this. That's why it's interesting for me right now. Like, I'm figuring out projects coming down the pike and I read a lot of screenplays of movies and look at other projects. And mm-hmm. it's it's hard for me. I might respect the comedy of somebody else's work, but it's hard for me to, like, I, to think about taking authorship over it or, mm. because it's just it's different it's not the same it doesn't feel right I wouldn't to go that way you know right is that is that why I have to imagine I also like writing for myself because then you're just like this guy I right. love this but guy but I actually don't think I'm like the greatest writer necessarily or like like I don't think I feel like there's so much to learn about writing and storycraft and so much you know I, I'm far from I there's a lifetimes of experience that I yeah. would love to get or to learn from other people and, and, and talents that I know I will never have and I'm totally happy about that mm-hmm. but but it, there's a that certain comedic thing is, is hard to be like is hard to uh, yeah Defi- <laughs> it's hard to define it's hard, it's hard to define but I hard feel to like, teach other people I feel like though too. I do I have though now that I've said that I have read other people's things that I do really immediately key into right. and then can add to and I, I have you know I've, I've directed some pilots where I just loved the script and right. got right on and like served their vision, but also was adding my own thing. And that's basically exactly what we did in Children's Hospital for yeah. seven years now. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, oh, God, you made me think of something and I don't want to forget. And you were talking about directing and you're talking about other people's visions. And I'm so sorry. Oh, I was going to say Fargo. That, that's one of those int- int- where the guy was like, oh, I can do a Coen Brothers yeah. thing. Like, I can make it quirky. And they did it at least for one season. Totally. They're doing the new season. I, I'm very excited about that. I was like, this real, they're really good mimics, but also very original in their own way. There's no rules. You never know. Yeah. And, and you know, we took a real swing doing this Wet Hot American Summer 15 years later. Yeah. Thing and just trying to, you know. Who just, changed the most? I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I know Mike Black a little bit. We were, we were texting, <laughs> making, making some cracks. Same. He's the same. He does look the same. <laughs> But we really, uh, you know, it, it was a minefield of like, especially from a fan point of view, like to go back and we're all these old men and like, are we going yeah. to try to recapture something that we should have left well enough alone right. and all that? Th- but Mike Showalter was, uh, I thought, very was wise. He's another great director, by the way. Yeah. When you're talking about taking other visions, I was thinking about Showalter. Totally. Oh, yeah. He's great. Um, but he was so smart. Uh, he'd be being my partner in Wet High American Summer, would, mm-hmm. was basically saying like, we can't think about that. Just let, let's just do something that we like right now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a sequel to that. But like, let's just do what we love and like make it f- f- present tense 
organically our thing that we love. Right, now, right, right. And then if people hate it, then so what? They hate other things we did too, and <laughs> which is true. So it's fine. <laughs> um, let's talk about one. Sp- this just occurred to me. It's not often that I can do this. I'm like, let's talk about one specific joke in Wanderlust. We're going back to Wanderlust. Great. Because I don't <laughs> like I I don't I think I've seen Wanderlust since it came out. Honestly, man, I've seen it so many times. But I when you were like we thought about the ending, I was like I don't remember how it ended. I do now, but it took they end me up a like minute. in Brooklyn, I think. Yeah, yeah. But that that it was actually part of a reshoot. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fun. We should watch it and just do a commentary. Yeah, because <laughs> you'll probably laugh at the jokes. You forget them. <laughs> I would. There was that scene though. It's, there's a deleted scene. This is just interesting when it comes to absurd jokes. You know what I mean? Where people think it's like abstract painting, and we can just Jackson Pollock it, and we could be like, "No, the joke is that it's just a square on a white canvas." You know what I mean? But it's it's so much more subtle. And Will stuff. you remember your question? If I interject, something? yeah, the, I actually wrote it down. Oh, good. The um, <laughs> an example where I find I'm I'm presented with this in relief is when we do our show, Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. and sometimes we get outside pitches or outside drafts from writers, yep. uh, and. Some of them are amazing, and some of them you just find that people, they're like, what? I'm doing what you do on Children's Hospital. Right. And you're like, but you're not. Like, right. it's just different. And they can't always describe exactly word for word why, you know. Right. But it's like, and, and sometimes I know that even actors or other collaborators will get frustrated because they'll be like, I'm just going to like, you know, uh, put a rubber chicken in my right. head. And I'm like, right. no, nah, I don't right. think so. And they're like, but what do you mean? You do all this stuff that breaks the rules every right. day. And I'm right, like, right, right. Mm, actually, there's a huge set of rules. But yeah. We just don't, I can't speak. I can't but isn't that them. what makes it infinitely interesting, like golf or racquetball or these things that you can play yeah. until you're old? Why do people like, I'm thinking of Judd and, and you, and why, why do we keep chasing this magic? Is that you're like, oh, because it's like really... It's like going into this cave and you're like, I've been in this cave before. And if we sit here with our eyes closed, this weird blue light will fill the cave. And people are like, that doesn't sound real. But then every once in a while you do it and it happens. Right. And everybody's like excited. And if you ever totally know how to do it, then that would right. suck. You know, right. Like it's, you're always just trying to figure it out, which is great. And it goes back to talking in the mirror. There's like this silliness that you're trying to like – it's like trying to – all these analogies. But keep this magic ball in the air or things – you don't want it to smash and fall. And that the rubber chicken inside somebody's scrubs is just like – it's just wrong. Why is Steve Martin with a fish in his suit okay? You know, <laughs> why does that work? Why does best fishes work? Because he has – he has the gut. He has the instinct. Yeah, he that's right. He knows the thing, and he followed his instinct. That's know? right. And he was so smart. I mean, his book was so inspiring. Where he's just like, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to follow my instinct. At one point, early on, <laughs> and it's just like great. And that I found that so inspirational. I mean, I didn't realize that till later that that's how what his. But I, I have always just been like, you know, what? I, don't know. I think I'm going to say no to the thing that will give me more money, and I'm right. gonna, you know, just kind of stick with what I think is my because thing. you sometimes go in the cave and it glows blue, and you're like, I think this yeah. isn't going to make the cave glow. Blue. Well, also one of the things that my dad always said, which I, sticks with me forever, is like, if you wake up in the morning and you're not excited to go to work, you are in the wrong line of work, mm. and you must change. You know, that's what old uh, Rob Bell, my friend, he he's a speaker and a writer. He talks about this uh, Japanese word, a key guy, which which means uh, a reason to get out of bed. Yeah, and he goes, some pe- we, we this uh, this is all him. He's like, we thought we wanted success, but what we really want is wonder, and that's why I'm like, oh, magic. We want these things that it's like 
And that comes with the pitfalls of like, I don't know why it doesn't work. Like it was a big move in Wet Hot to have the, the guy playing on the roof and stuff. That could have not worked. I happen to think it did work. I thought it was yeah. wonderful. But when you take a big swing like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you have uh, enough Wanderlust talk. But, you know, you, you make these, <laughs> these silly jokes. Uh, one more Wanderlust thing. Okay. I wanted to talk about your instinct. So Jennifer Anderson takes a, a ayahuasca. Right. And then she has a trip. And now we're really in baloney land. Which I have to acknowledge for the record, as I have before, that's not what happens on ayahuasca. No. <laughs> and we know that. <laughs> uh, people got mad? I th- well, I don't know if that many people got mad, but I just I, I, it was made clear to us even before we shot it that that – I mean, we knew. We, it, it's just one of those things where I think uh, it just was decided – somewhere along the line that we're calling it ayahuasca because it just sounds right even though oh i see you mean you didn't have any of the purging or the vomiting and yeah like it wasn't it just we weren't trying to in any way uh be real show you what an ayahuasca experience is it was more just a generalized drug trip right 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 right. well if if it were i've never bumped on that but it if she drank ayahuasca tea she would have thrown up like she would have been like this is and i think it's just a different deal in general, it's there's more a different kind of ceremony. There. Yeah, I haven't done it myself. Yeah. I would like to someday. I'm actually. I think I'm going to do it. Um, I will. We'll talk about. The facts Is that right? Later. Yeah. yeah, it's happening in LA, and I've just been like, I. We can talk about. I've always been curious. Yeah, but I. Yeah. Anyway, but your question was about a, one of the jokes. One of the jokes. Okay. Because I'm interested in absurdity and and these kind of crazy town jokes. So now we're really in crazy town because she's on. We're in a movie. That occasionally uh, is hyper-conscious and it's self-aware, you know, loosely. Um, And and now she's taken a a mind-altering drug, so it's okay to kind of do anything, you would think. Right. Right? And then if you watch the deleted scenes, one of the jokes, which I think is a great joke, is Paul Rudd saying, remember when we were on Friends. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think he says, remember when I was your boyfriend on Friends. Right, right. Which is like an amazing joke. And you're kind of like, that is, I'll buy that because she's on a drug and like, it's just nonsense. The audience will probably like it because it rewards them for knowing something. Uh, But it didn't make the film. And I'm not saying it shouldn't have, I I actually don't think it should be in the film. But like, what is that kind of decision like? Is it a kill your baby thing or is it just No, well, I mean, in that particular, I mean, I feel like I'm always going to throw in that kind of joke um, <laughs> in everything all the time because I find those kind of things so silly to, to break, break, break the fourth wall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm always riffing on, you know, the, like, I feel like I've got to do this at some point. We, we're always, when we're writing, there's always a scene of like, you know, I can't do this because I'm just so scared. Um, but you're not really scared, right? No, I really am scared. But like, really, like for real, like, as, as like you're not, you're, you're acting in a scene and you're not actually scared, right? No, yeah, of course, yeah, no, I'm not. Like, and that to put that in the movie, and of course we we did we did that to a greater degree, and they came together. But yeah, no, I, that was great. You know, and I, I think that every movie has a different vocabulary, and I also feel like if a movie does break the fourth wall, you want to very carefully pick and choose when. It's like the farts, like the farts, or like to me in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. There were, I think, a few different in the original film. There were a few different points where people look in the camera. Yeah, and I wanted to make sure we kept only one in, oh, wow. so it would have the most impact. What is? It? I can't. I can't remember. It's at what the it was. very end when uh, Katie is giving the speech about like I, you know, I, for now I'm just about sex with Andy, not with you. But you're really great, and let's keep in touch. And at a certain point, he just looks in the camera like, "What the hell?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like you know, it's it's right out of. Um, Trading places. Yeah. When uh, I don't know if you, how well you know that, but he's, not that well. But the, the two old white guys are being really patronizing to um, 
uh, Eddie Murphy in there saying, this is bacon, you know, like you would find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And he does a full quarter turn to the camera and just looks in the camera like, do these guys think I'm retarded? <laughs> um, and so, but anyway, uh, so the Jennifer Aniston making reference to, we also had other, if you saw the lead scene, yeah, the House, we did other yeah. references to that kind of stuff. You know, where, like she goes, there's a funny, really funny scene that's, I think, in the Bizarro cut. I've uh, seen the Bizarro. Where um, she's calling Michaela Watkins' character and she says, uh, and Michaela Watkins like, oh, you sound like that girl, you know, with the hair from Friends. And, and Aniston's character, Linda, says, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, and then Michaela says, so, okay, let me just get this straight. In this, this is, the conceit here is that this, in this world, there is no such thing as Friends. Is that right? <laughs> and, and Aniston's like, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's funny, man. But so to me, but like, yeah, but, you know, Wanderlust, as goofy, goofy as it is, doesn't break that reality. And, right. And I felt we, and I actually didn't think that the, if you want to analyze, if, if you're asking, I didn't think that joke was like the best example of that kind of joke anyway. Because you only get one. Right. Even if you're going to do it. But I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to, Hit that kind of thing. You want to hit it right on the bullseye. All you right. know? Let's talk about psychedelics. <laughs> I actually had somebody on the podcast, and then we ended up talking about it off mic, uh-huh. and it was really exciting. Have you done mushrooms? I've done mushrooms. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's my hit it. thumbnail: is that I never did any drugs, including a cigarette or a sip of a beer, mm. until I was in my twenties. Uh, Why was that? Any reason? Not any specific, other than. It was one of those things like it just I wanted to delineate myself maybe from the rest of my friends or I just never was also I just never wanted to. And I was sort of funny and outgoing and and uninhibited anyway. Right. And I actually used to get in trouble for being uh, stoned at school, even though I never touched uh, a drug in my life. That's funny. Then in my 20s, I just started to like kind of relax that notion of myself and be like, I don't know. I don't have a specific reason. So maybe I can not have to be so rigid about it. And mm-hmm. then and I started to. You know, we we did our show Stella, which was like a nightclub show at Fez, and I started enjoying having a martini and <laughs> and a little bit. And then I then I did very light, but you know, a fair amount of um, experimenting, much less than most of my friends with sure. ecstasy, shrooms once a few times, which one of which a few of which were just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And then, uh, well, we have to talk about that. But I feel like that's maybe now. it. Yeah. And then. And I, yeah, yeah. What was it, what was a great mushroom time? Well, I had a friend who we went on a, a bachelor party trip uh, once and to Europe, and it was a bunch of guys, all of which, all of us were friends, and um, many of us were like me, had basically never done anything, hmm. and we all did shrooms and just like. Uh. Walked around the city all day. It was just absolutely. Oh, you were like active. Mm. One time I tried to take mushrooms and I was like, we'll walk on the beach. And uh, this is such a cliche, but I guess it's because these experiences are pretty typical. I, I was, you know, I was like this. My perception was up, up and down. Like yeah. gravity was normal. And then everything got very bent. So I felt like I, I was standing straight, but I felt like I was leaning over. Like oh, interesting. A, like I was bending like mm. a banana. And uh, I was like, we got to go. We were at a hotel. I was like, we got to go back to the room right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> but you, you were able to take it and enjoy oh, my, being with your friends and walking around. I mean, like times a zillion. <laughs> like it was laughing and just like finding the craziest things and like taking just the most insane pleasure out of the fact that there was a doorknob on a door. And like yeah. just, it was really exciting for me. Yeah. And that was 
probably about 30. Mm. Uh, and, um, but uh, I have, you know, it's in this era, the last 10 years, I've been married and kids and working a lot. I no, and I'm ready to relax a little more, <laughs> explore a little more. You're not a big uh, marijuana smoker now? Mm-mm. I wish I could do it more. I, I, I smoked it a couple, well, we took an edible and we went and saw Swan Lake, which is yeah. a terrible idea because <laughs> ballet is hilarious. Like yeah. it's so absurd. The feet and the, there's literally, I, I said this before but with Flanny, but there's prancing and prancing is so funny. Like it's a lot of like flourishing. So were you laughing at the ballet? I couldn't stop laughing. That's kind of great though. I wish we had a private booth because it would have been the best night. But I feel life. like the, if we had, we I would, have if been I'm fun. a ballet dancer, I'm like, oh, that's, I'm, I'm so happy they're enjoying it so much. Uh, I would think it was the Russian ballet. Yeah, I'm but you know now that like every everyone smokes pot. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like I'm really feeling left out. So I have to like get into this and see what it's all about. And <laughs> I, and I, and my I've never quite made it work. But I'm. But there's I'm, a you know Judd's the same way. Sorry to keep yeah. bringing up Judd, but he's another director. We I both, know him. We both know. Yeah. yeah. And you know it's one of those things where. I, I, I've smoked it to good effect when I've tried to relax, I suppose. Um, but it's but then the next day I'll always be a little bit foggier. And yeah. Scott, I think maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, like as the thing is like creating, it's like the jokes and the, and the, the way that I respond to things is by thinking about them and commenting on them. And like, yeah. that's how I experience. Although I'm sure that's the thing. Like I've, I've never even tried ever to write under the influence of anything. I yeah. think. And I think I probably should try it. Why not? And, and I also, uh, my doctor actually gave me, um, those little, like the liquid to, uh, marijuana to go to sleep to. Oh, he's, wow. he's like, you should try this. Not having nothing to do with getting high and like, you know, yeah. uh, the CBD, whatever. Oh, I don't know. And so, um, did I did that. It? Yeah, it's great. It was. It was. It was like just sleeping super deep, and yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I now I want to. I'm going to try. I'm going to write down CBD because fuck Ambien. What the fuck is in that shit? But I was thinking. I and I was on a set thinking about this. We were shooting that show, another period, and I walked around to every actor and every crew member, and I'm like, just. I'm just curious. Do you smoke? Pot? I'm like, no one said no. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's just like I'm the oddball. All right, just getting the, my lay of the land here. I don't know. I don't know. But ayahuasca is uh, very intense, supposedly, and yeah. and uh, but also very like healing. It's the sort of thing that I've heard stories. Uh, you hear stories, but you hear stories of people that had like cancer and and it goes away because they realize they were giving them this is not, I'm not saying I'm not the yeah. FDA folks but they're saying that they were like oh my cancer was because I never forgave my mother you know what I mean and and they took the drug and a big gigantic black snake showed them three crucial days from their life and then they were like oh my god I have to forgive Nana you know what and their cancer I have goes friends away. have said similar things where basically the, uh, it replaced five years of therapy you know wow. in one night or yeah. something, you know and it's like so I, to me it's like, well, I my tendency is to say, "What have I got to lose?" Got to yeah. try that. But I guess you, you know, who knows? But you, it's interesting. There's this uh, great new movie coming out. It's called Dying to Know. It's in uh, select theaters now, and it's about Tim Leary and, and Ram Dass, mm. and it's very interesting. And it has An- Andy Andrew Wheel, you know, the guy with the big beard, mm-hmm. and he's talking about psychedelics and the uh, masculine LSD mushrooms, that sort of stuff. And he's like, "There's there's great benefits to the psychological." kind of uh, reward, I suppose. And he goes, but he, I like that he's honest. He goes, the risk is some sort of trauma. <laughs> like, he's like, some people not ready and a gigantic black snake comes in and it's like, I will show you three days. And you're like, ah! <laughs> and, then, and then the rest of your life, 
I don't think I think that's kind of what the man wants us to think. Right. I'm a big. Uh, I, I love. I feel like if you go into it with the right mindset and with the right support. Well, probably, that's the, it, and that's you know. the thing about ayahuasca is that it's like uh, my my friend described it. It's like it seems like a cult, but it's a cult you want to get into, and it's like sitting around in robes. And so and, you haven't done it. I have not, but you're going to. I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think I want to do I it. I might too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you the info. It'd be, it'd be, I, I don't think it would be like let's do it together because once you do it, you're just kind of on yeah. your own. But uh, I, I think I think there's something to offsetting. Talk about all the TVs on. So it's not like something I just like pop in and drive home right now. Uh, <laughs> we can do it. I do have. Uh, should I admit that I have? I almost always have mushrooms. I like having them around, even though I almost never wow. do them. That'd be exciting. I carried some around in my like backpack for years. And, really? Uh, until they like withered away or something. They just turned into pot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let me let me go back. Where are we? Oh, we've been about an hour and a half. We're about a two-hour podcast, but whatever you unless, want, man. Unless you have to go, I'm like sitting here doing your thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know what, I, I what, feel that. I don't know what that means. What is? Uh, here's another greatest lesson joke. Uh, we've been talking about comedy, and we'll put a pin in that. Okay. What is the greatest lesson you've learned about comedy? And it can be something you've already said because you've said some great things. Oh my goodness! Well, creating it. One of the best lessons that I learned early on that I have then told people who asked me and also I really learned it first from Mike Showalter I think when we were talking about writing sketches when we were both at Brown University uh, and I was like hey, it's so hard to write sketch and he was just he was also telling me about the take the mystique out of it's just like putting in the work of sitting down and like you can't it's not just like being funny it's about like okay you got to figure out like, interior and this guy says this and like, right. like and that and that quantity uh is as important as quality like you Mm. you know and if you can churn out 20 sketches you have a much better chance of having one good one you Mm. know and if you can churn out 10 screenplays you have a much better chance of having one good one and Mm. i've learned that over time and you know that will uh, when we did the wet hot american summer um miniseries you know we knew that we if we churned out seven hours of material then we could have a great three and a half hour series right you know? and it just over and over it's just that the, the kill ratio thing and that's what our producer on the state called it and I've, i mean this is not kill ratio yeah just you know the the, the more of a kill ra- and also there's many ways of saying the same thing and, and this is a basic tenet of comedy but I, this is one of the ones that i keep going back and back to like and our we have said if you're if you're killing a material then you know you have an a script you know hmm. and it means if you're taking out if you just don't have room for all the good jokes and so and oh, taking stuff problem. out is such a great lesson and i learned it again in a bigger way just a couple of years ago when we did our movie they came together uh where i it, it was a happenstance where there was like this six month period where i was busy doing other things and the movie the studio was didn't care about it at the time and, and so i had a long time to gestate with what excuse me, what wasn't quite right about the movie. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to realize just how much I could take out. You know? mm. And kept, you know, you hold on to things and you're like, well, you need that. You have to. And I'm like, no, you don't need that. Mm. You know? And how liberating it is to what you do leave in when you take out all the cruft. Mm. So that's one. That's one. That's very interesting. And uh, you said it twice. So uh, the mystique, the, the idea that the it doesn't mystique, need yeah. to be this mystical... Well, you know, that one, I, the first, I remember when Spike Lee came to visit when we were at NYU. Mm. And he was, it was right when he made uh, Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was so exciting. And he, he's a huge, 
hero of mine, mm. uh, just in terms of, and one of the, one of the reasons he's hero is the quantity. Like he doesn't, he does not precious about like, I'm going to ruminate on this. You know, he just keeps going and, you right, know, right. and Woody Allen, same thing. I love that. It's just mm-hmm. like, and Steven Soderbergh, like they just keep making stuff and mm-hmm. like, it's not all perfect and it's got some of it's flawed and some of it's small and some of it's big and some of it's great and some of it's crappy. And that's the point, you know, just keep, mm-hmm. you've got a body of work and you're just trying stuff. I love that. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, Spike Lee did at NYU, about just taking the mystique out of it. Like, don't, it's not like this magic trick. It's like, you learn something, you figure it out, you don't understand something, you try again, you know. And, and haul your ass in. And haul your ass in. And yeah. Ass meets chair. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. all about that. I mean, that's, and I love that <laughs> phrase, ass meets chair. I've never heard that. Oh my God, yeah. That's like, you know, the first rule of writing, ass meets chair. And a lot of, that's the first rule that a lot of people never get to. Yeah. You know, it's like, just sit down and fucking do it, you yeah. know, and stop talking about it and stop going to parties and saying, I'm a writer and I just wish somebody would give me a chance and like, yeah. you know, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's just like, how many people just sit down and do it? And the ones that do so often are the ones that make it through and, mm. then, and who can consistently do it. Mm-hmm. I had a friend I grew up with who... um you know, when we were in our 20s and running around and trying to meet girls, and I'm like, hey, it's Saturday night, let's go do this. And he's like, you know what, I'm just going to stay home and try to write this thing that I'm trying to work on. And I'm just like, what? Mm. You know, and... Uh, that made an impression? Well, now it does. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, you know, when you really got... Of course, you know, when you got something you got to do... You know, now, of course, we're all... A lot of the time, of course, not right now, but a lot of time, we're, we're, we have to... We're being paid now, and we... In my life, you you have a job and you're lucky you have right, that so you right. have to you must right. do it but that's also the thing of that, that TV writer mentality of like just churn something out you mm-hmm. have to how do you manufacture the tension to I have different strategies and one of them uh, is you know you want to recreate that hunger you're talking about you, right. you've been working and you do work so it's not you know uh, Jed has that line in, in Funny People about like it's good to be hungry it's good to be scared yeah. because that'll motivate you to work so here you are, and, and I, I'm assuming we're similar in that it's not about write the script or you won't eat lunch. What do you do? Is, is it is it? Are you fighting the feeling of being a fraud? Do you think you're well, going to lose it? Well, I do it? think it, it's interesting. It's good to have kids because it puts a strain both on your time and your wallet. Mm-hmm. And so it creates that new level of uh, – in fact, I heard uh, Francis Coppola ask, answering that question. He's saying if, my number one advice if you're a man is to get married because mm. you'll have that fire under your ass to make a living. Huh. And it'll make you creative. And then, But if you're a woman, it's don't get married. Really? Or exactly the opposite because you'll feel that uh, – you'll feel subsumed into your marriage, you know, which is uh, – you could call it sexist, but that's probably, at least in many cases, very accurate. That's really interesting. But um, And you, you found the same to be true with having children. To me, as soon as I had kids, I realized that I must get an office outside the house mm-hmm. and I have to go to it on a, reg- on a schedule. That's the Larry David uh, thing. It's yeah. like I need a place outside of my home that I go to. Exactly. Where there's no TV. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, I'm, TV's not my thing, but it's like I have other things. My, my Rubik's Cube and the drums and the magic tricks and playing squash. You do magic? And, oh, my God. Really? That's like, I love magic. Good talk for now, two hours about that. I don't know if you know that I love magic. I did a, a, a bit on Conan about how much I love magic. It's the, Oh, my God. I, it's my pride. I'm watching, I'm watching it on YouTube. Please watch it. After this. It's the only, fo- it's the only existing footage of a comedian praising magic. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll have to talk about that. Maybe yeah. we have to have another whole podcast about that. We could, yeah. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to strain uh, our listeners or you. <laughs> but you, you. I'm big into magic. I yeah. was my whole life, and then really? I got. I, I was like as a kid. I would did shows for kids as when I was twelve and stuff, and went to magic camp. No way. And, and then 
I just had it more as like a random hobby throughout my life. But then in my 40s, I got back into it in a more wow. big, serious way. And now I'm like sort of heavily into Do card, you card have a thumb like on you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you have an invisible string on I'll you? I'll tell you. I, Do you have anything on I you? I walked out of the house without a deck of cards with the ho- because I felt like I've actually walked into so many podcasts with a deck of cards. That's funny. That, but I can do this trick, but it's too visual. I'll do it afterwards. I'd love to see it. Yeah. I mean, I'll really enjoy it. I still will practice a double lift while I watch TV. Yeah, me too. What do you do? I What's your lift? Double lift. I, I mean, what do you? How do you do it? I do both. You going from I behind? Do, I do the regular, and then I do the David Blaine. The push off. Yeah. I, well, the, the push off flip around. The push off flip around, yeah. which I've had. Sorry, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking. That's I like, just been like we're having this unrelatable conversation. <laughs> Harrison Greenbaum. But uh, you know that's what they do on Fool Us, and it's a big hit. I know. So there you go. I thought. Did you see the guy with the smoke? Oh my god! The Asian guy, so Incredible. good. Yeah, and I, I met Penn and Teller's manager. I'm embarrassed; I don't remember his name. We discussed that kid's trick for about an hour. Yeah, and we were talking about like how they shot it and how he auditioned it. It was so good. Just type in "fool us smoke," you'll find it. I'm obsessed uh, with that whole. I love that show. Yeah, good show, good magic. Uh, but Harrison, just one, if you'll allow it, he was like, you wouldn't turn a card like that. Like, he uses the fat part right. of his thumb to kind of keep them together or whatever. But you know what? Some people would. Yeah. That's the argument. And I think that, you know, I read somewhere very recently, they said, you know, what's the right double lift? And the answer yeah. is, take a deck of cards, turn over one, look at how you did it, and then find a double lift that's like that. Yeah. I can't, though. The way I do it is I'm pushing it off and... right. And turning it like the most lazy. I pick it up at the middle. Mm. You know what I mean? It's un, it's undoable. Well, you know, maybe we, we'll work maybe on that. we could. Maybe we'll work on that. Maybe we'll workshop that. I <laughs> magic though. Again, in praise of magic, it's these people that go. I used to. I still do as for fun. I'll try and think of the be- what would be the best magic trick in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, it would always be something quote unquote impossible, usually involving mentalism being like. What could be in this envelope, and, right. and you tell, and, that, and that's where we get not not to spoil anything, but thumb pencils and these really nice effects, but really just something very clean. But sure. then sometimes you see a trick that's like too good. There's some of these Japanese guys on YouTube, and and you see a guy pull a hoagie out of his well, shirt there's, pocket, there's and I'm like, it's almost that. too good. I forget there's a term for that in magic. Too good. Well, it's some other term, but, yeah. but it means exactly that. Where the, it's the effect needs more. Uh, and more level of believability or else it's too it's not as good it's right. not as interesting right. you know because for example like if you just what's coming to mind is if you're transforming a hoagie yeah. into uh, a cat um, <laughs> if you just saw that happen with like no divider like there was yeah. no cloth in between or something yeah. it would almost be like it's too weird You're it's right. like we want know, the cloth you want the cloth you want yeah. to have the mystery part right. you know it's a, yeah. because that's the titillation is you're wondering what what could be happening right and then it's almost yeah it's weird it's not that you, it's it's not that you see the method but you just you're seeing too much right and i i am really struck with uh I, there was another amazing trick that I saw that involved an iPhone, and he pushes it through a, a Starbucks cup, uh-huh, yeah, and then it's sealed, and and it's her phone, and and you're just like, it's so good, it almost isn't good. 
It's, right. a, it's a real it's a phenomenon. Weird, well, and that's I, lo- I love the intricacies of, of magic in that way. And it's all presentation. It's all right. like how you present, what you say, every moment, every movement, everything right. affects the overall enjoyment of it and the overall feeling you get. Yeah. Um, this guy, you know, Helder Gumaris, mm. uh, he's a, a card magician here in L.A. who's an absolutely incredible. He's from mm. Portugal. And I've gotten to know him just because I basically like stalked him after I saw his show. <laughs> And uh, but he wrote a book about this. I'm a director. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in show business. I've been doing that. If I love something, I just track them down, and I'm like, No, I know. Maybe you've seen anything I've done because I want to just have coffee with you. It sounds like I'm teasing you, but that's what this podcast is. And I just think if you could put together a supercut of all the times in my life, one of them I actually got declined at the Magic Castle because I was wearing. Very expensive jeans that oh, were. No. No, I know, no, no. but, but nope. they had let me in before with those same pants. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and now, now I got this guy, and those moments where jerks like me, showbiz jerks, go, um, "Come on, I did this bit on Conan." Like, like those, right, like right. fucking pathetic little. I'm the magic guy. David Copperfield likes that bit. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Go buy some slacks, you fucking asshole. Exactly. <laughs> great. To that's really great. That's terrific. Now, yeah. the dress code is. <laughs> Keep going, please. You're, you're obsessed with uh, this guy. Oh, just uh, and he wrote this book about that. That is all about just the the. the he it's so great. It's it's it, the book is called Reflections. It's out of print, but you know you can track it down. Sure, it. but it basically it's four card tricks, but it's a whole book around the four card tricks. Oh and wow! Each, and they're these long, amazingly interesting chapters that tell you what goes into the thinking and the philosophy behind yes. what the effect is. And then he tells you the effect, which is the sort of the who cares part. Right. And then there's the aftermath of like why it works. And it's like it's so interesting. Yes. You know it and, reminds me of absurd comedy. It's like yeah. why does it work? Why why do I like it better? Why do we agree on the deck of cards? It's so practical. Right. It's so it's the right size. It's the right color. We, it's familiar, you know what I mean? Like totally. I, I want to see magic, like spoon bending. I actually think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see Honest Liar? Mm-hmm. I, I thought. Wait, that was no. Really, which what? What? It's I, on Netflix. It's called An Honest Liar. No, no. I'm sorry because I was thinking about. I did just see. I just got a. Uh, somebody sent me a spoon bending video. Really? It's like just a whole. Um, uh, instructional one. I love bending. it. I st- that's one of the few, not few. There's a lot of tricks I don't know how to do, but or don't know how they're doing it. I yeah. can't do them. But spoon bending, I'm just like, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's I just, cool. I don't understand. And, and then I'll, I'll always go, maybe it's real. Like there's always part of me that goes, it could be real. Well, I think some of those effects are so much about audience management. It's so much about like psychology and yeah, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Where are they at? What are they doing? You saw, um, I always, Rick, Rick, Ricky, Ricky J. Ricky J. Sure. Did you see that movie? I did. And they talk about the ice block reveal. Totally. I can't stop. So that's audience. It's like someone's interviewing me. I mm-hmm. tell her the story about a ma- an amazing trick where he lifts up his hat and there's a block of ice and it's not even melted at all. Right. And then it starts melting right in front of you. And it's at the end of a long dinner. Okay, so I tell you that story. Then three days later, we're having lunch and I do it to you. And the woman just started weeping. I'm like, that's entertainment. That's real showbiz. Right. And magicians are like guys in vests that are kind of like punchlines sometimes. And I'm like... They're also, just like anything, there's also these ones out there that are making us all feel like frauds because they're like, no, I made a woman think I was a wizard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, as someone just said, I think on that show, Fool Us, that they said, you know, so how do you get started in magic? He's like, well, the first thing is for girls not to be interested in you. <laughs> and you go from there. You know? And to not be good at sports. Yeah. You know? No, but it's true. It, yeah. re- 
you go to the Magic Castle, there's a lot of well-dressed uh, misfits. Oh, God. Very strange. Yeah. They remind me of terrible comedians, the worst ones. Right. And you some of I mean? them are terrible magicians. Uh-huh, <laughs> of course. But they get in because they're wearing slacks. Right. Fuck you, Magic Castle. <laughs> i just kidding. I love the Magic Castle. Um, I well, love their whole shtick over there, yeah. It's fun. It's just you talk about churches, therapies. It's nice to have a place. Offices. Yeah. It's a place. It wasn't that bad. Well, I'll go back. <laughs> I was humiliated. You'll be fine. <laughs> they made my integrity disappear. Huh. Or my self-worth. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we always talk about God. You've alluded to it a little bit. God is a loose way of saying it. It, it sounds like you grew up Jewish. Uh, I did. And I'm just looking for uh, where you're at today. These feelings change and um, shift. I uh, grew up Jewish, uh, very um, uh, your classic conservative, very active in the community, very pro-Israel Jewish family. Uh, And I was very involved in the community and in charity work and events and things like that. Mm -hmm. And at camp was the time I really felt something spiritual Hmm. uh, because at our summer camp we would have Shabbat practice, which meant that starting from Friday afternoon till the end of Saturday, the whole time and space shifted. It's mm. like we were talking about earlier. You take time to stop and reflect. I've been to Israel and, and during Shabbat, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, they, just like they do the, the real... Everything's in the air change. Yeah, you know? Friday. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd walk around and, and it was like a different time. You'd see candles and stuff. And yeah. Like, this is... It and it's, felt it's sort of uh, nice. And it's reverent. Like, and it was like, you know, in, in Judaism, the Shabbat is the, the most important holiday of the in that there is mm. and so it's like and it's every and week, it's every week. <laughs> but it's and so you know it's, and uh, people who are religious ritualistic jews which i'm not uh this it's in a really really important ritual and they do not yeah. go out on friday nights and they they hang out with family and have quiet time and reflective time and some of them don't use the turn on the lights or whatever but you know just right. like to just to shift your gears during the week was something that's really meaningful to me uh have i done it a lot over the last uh you know, 30 years since I've been in camp? No, not mm-hmm, that much. Mm-hmm. But I've thought about it. Um, As you're speaking, I'm like, I should do that. It's you know a great I mean? thing. I mean, for anyone, anytime, it can be a Tuesday or whatever, but just like take that time. I mean, and also, of course, it's such a cliche to say this stuff, but like, to, you know, how, what, what about putting down your phone for an hour? Yeah. You know, which is so Honestly, hard to this do. podcast. Here we I, go. I'm telling you, it's like an airplane. Yeah. It le- I, I do, I've been doing these almost every day for a while now because I'm back camp because I'm going to New York for a bit. Mm. No phone. Yeah. It's great. It's like it's like a little flight. It's really amazing. Well, that, yeah. you know, when I go out for dinner with a friend who I haven't seen in a while, like or, you know, most of the time I try not to look at my phone sure. when I'm with other people. But yeah, you're right. And I love if I ever have a chance. The only time I really feel safe doing it is when I'm with my kids. Um, I can like literally leave my phone elsewhere. Yeah, and it's such an incredible, unusual feeling. Because you're like, what could the call be about? Their kids are right here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the you know the phone has become such this all inclusive. Um, Swiss Army knife that you just you need, if you don't need it for one thing you right. probably can use it for something else. We're not and, equipped. You know, We're it's, yeah. it's like they say in uh, Super Size Me about like soda or whatever. Not to change the topic to nutrition, but it's like the child's mind is completely on uh, outbalanced or outmanned or outmatched. Yeah, it's true. When it's like you get that chemical combination of sugar and caffeine, your brain is just like we surrender, and our human adult brains are like. Oh, it's a thing that does everything, and it gives me this kind of synthetic love feeling. And a little bump every time. It's just so sickening. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, But, oh, so anyway, to answer your question. (laughs) A little bump. (laughs) 
It's so scary. So what happened in camp? You had sh- you had Shabbat. So I just loved it. I just there's something spiritual about it to me where it's just like you know, and we would have a service by the lake, and we'd look around and see the majesty of the mm-hmm. nature and stuff, and the stars, and just felt like you really felt it, and you felt com- com- communal comedy and um, uh, comedy <laughs> community. <laughs> My camp, by the way, just interject. Every day we had vespers. We watched the sunset every night because Quakers are all Beautiful. about silence, and that was great. I love that stuff. Yep. Um, so you felt some. A I touch yearn of, for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, my life today is interestingly um, not so uh, religious in any way. Um, I um, married someone who is not particularly religious, uh, and I also. But on the other hand, my son is in a religious school, in mm. a Jewish school, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. You know, some of, a lot of the stuff there. Although, mm-hmm. although I have mixed feelings about it, because by virtue of being in a Jewish school in Los Angeles, that means he's in an all-white, mostly rich, you know, mostly right. entertainment industry school. Oh, interesting. So that's very. There's Jews in entertainment. Uh, there are some. <laughs> my dad used to say. If you want to be in the entertainment business, you have to be Jewish, unless you happen to go by the name of Johnny Carson. (laughs) Joke would be relevant. Just change it to Oprah Winfrey. There you go. Boom. Boom. I got to give him a call and let him know. Um, uh, Oh, they're still alive? My dad is still alive. Oh. 87, acting like he's two. He's running around like crazy. Not two, like he's 25. I understand. I understand. Uh, keep going. So so anyway, uh, what's my relationship with God now? And I, I, I definitely, I'd say I've flirted with atheism. I've yeah, read some books about funny. it. I found it to be kind of um, in the way that uh, sometimes happens. I find it to be somewhat um, empowering, liberating, uh, yep. humanizing. I almost say the same thing. I say yeah. I had a period where I was like dabbling in atheism. Yeah. And there is a real relief to going, nobody's watching my thoughts, so I'm just going to say, you know, cocksucker motherfucker. Well, or the other way around. Like, nobody's watching, so I'm going to take my own responsibility. For yeah, them. that's true. That's, that's how, how I'm more thinking about it. It's like I can have morality without being without an external judge uh, or some sort of carrot sky, on the you know? stick yeah. going like you get to go it's to. more like I'm I'm being good to people because that's what I want to do and because it's right. cause it's what makes the world go around. I don't know right. it's like this, uh, I believe in I guess I believe in morality uh, and um, and I believe in uh, in things that are mystical uh, in some sense more than I believe in a right. sort of personality in the sky the lifeguard god. Yeah. But I can't say that I've really delved too deep into it in the last few years now that you've asked me. Yeah. Got to be honest. That's fine. Maybe we got to think about that more. <laughs> I'm busy writing stupid jokes all the time. <laughs> well, don't you find that the creative space again, another time Jed comes up, but we were talking about the feeling the spiritual feeling of of feeling like a conduit when when you're writing and it's coming out and it's really yes. flowing. Oh, that kind of stuff all the time. I feel like there's Forces greater than what we know, I think about and interact with constantly. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. And I also, f- one of the things is my kids do ask me things like this all the time, and it makes me think about it. It makes me look things mm-hmm. up, and it makes mm-hmm. me, you know, um, and, I am, and I am remembering the good and bad of how I was brought up Jewish and trying to instill the good and the gentle on my sons without uh, being too um, prescriptive, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, what about uh, death? Uh, when you die, are we lights out? Uh, well, 
you know, the first time I ever went to therapy. I thought you were, the first time I died. <laughs> Have you been flatlining? <laughs> I do, and I'm back. <laughs> um, the first time you went to therapy, it was was uh, I had a debilitating fear of death. Really? Um, and this was probably when I was. Uh, I mean, it, that was all growing up into my early twenties, mm. and I would regularly shoot up in the middle of the night, sweating, uh, freaking out, like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" Mm. And I, Can I interject and say yeah. that I often, in my dreams, I'll have a lucid dream, and in the dream, I'll be like, I can't believe we die. Right. I can't believe it. This is crazy. And I know I'm dream Pete, but I'm like, it's fucked up. This is, we're, it, it all goes away, and I, I'll, I'll have panic about death in my dreams. So yeah. like, I don't shoot up, but yeah, there you go. So um, What does debilitating mean? You couldn't... I just, well, I mean, I just... It was just like really bad attacks, you know, mm-hmm. of just like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, no, 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 no. Mainlining freaking panic. out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I'm going to go crazy. Right. Like, I can't, take, I can't take this reality. So I went to therapy for the first time saying, like, I'm really scared mm-hmm. of this and I'm scared of my parents dying and everything. And uh, I just started that, you know, a lifelong process of a little bit of exploration and therapy and other things where I started to look more inward and, and, basically get the general lesson ingested in my bones of like yeah you're right we don't know but it's okay because here we are today and we can focus on that and Mm -hmm. the more that you can uh be um in your own skin and in the present tense then the at least the abject fear of death may abate Mm -hmm. and i guess that's where i am now and i still occasionally can go there i guess i can go down that rabbit hole but it's really uh that that those shoot ups in the middle of the night pretty much that doesn't happen anymore so yeah. I'm happy about that and uh, I don't <laughs> sometimes I'm like I don't want to egg on your anxiety <laughs> but we share in that anxiety you know I have that uh, not as intensely but uh, from time to time I think we all feel like what a crazy thing that we're all kind of not looking at it's over there in the yeah. corner but uh, do you think your mom had passed? she did do you find yourself talking to your mom or feeling your mom? yes uh, I do I, I do <laughs> so it, it uh, but I also, you know, I can, I sometimes can then take a step back and look at it more scientifically or like, you like know, I'm I, talking to myself or like, yeah. So, there, you know, I do, I do not really know. And I also think that, um, you know, I, 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 I certainly have a lot of, uh, cynicism in the classic way about organized religion and then sure. therefore that seeps into um, into my feelings about all these things afterlife systems yeah and so I just um, which gated community you go to yeah and just think you know and just you know you have to take a step back and like you know our entire human race is only a blip and all that yeah. and so mm-hmm. I, I uh, then that just leads me back to being like well I'm just going to worry about today right now and being a good yeah. person right now and, yeah. and trying to be as fulfilled and and helpful as I can you know you know what's a weird one is I, I caught myself thinking this this is something I used to think all the time I, I'd say it on stage I'd go what if we're dead wouldn't that be a relief <laughs> what if I was like David you're dead you already died and yeah. this is the afterlife and it's just like this and it's okay like everything's fine like it would, it would just be so nice if someone was like, "No, you were hit by a bus. Do you want to see the footage?" But it depends on how you define it. I mean, of course, I always wished, like in those movies or whatever, that I I, I want to see like the the stats. You know, at the end of my life, I want to see. Uh-huh. 
all that. I, At I the end of Grand Theft Auto. Guido Sarducci did a bit about that too, but I was like, you know, you get the list of how many times you masturbated and what uh, that girl really did uh, think uh, and, you know, what yeah. happened the, when you walked uh, out of the room that All time. the times you almost died, yeah. Yeah, or like, yeah, what, what could have happened then? Yeah. Or like all those questions that you want to know are like, what, yeah. you know, what, what, who really, how many people really do watch Netflix, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think we can get that one. You can't. What do you mean? They're totally secretive about it. They'll never tell you. Well, someone knows. Someone knows. That's what I'm saying. Oh, but we will never know. But unless. Why won't they tell us? You made I them feel like show I honestly them. want to put in my will on my deathbed. Like, tell me the ratings. Like, no, they won't tell you. That's they're famously they know every data point down to the molecule because it's Netflix. It's a streaming service. Yeah. But they famously will not tell anyone, including their own creators. Uh, so you numbers. don't know what your ratings. No were? idea. Could have been a huge bomb. What a relief. Yeah, is that what it is? Kind of nice. That's the what if we're dead. It, it's it's <laughs> it, you could really make an, an analogy to that. Yeah. I mean, it's like we are freed from the good and bad of knowing the ratings on our show. You know, <laughs> so we just make it. You know, so uh, open to it not being over. But you, it's, it, I'm getting a I don't know a healthy I don't know I don't know and yeah I mean it would be yeah I don't know yeah all right well we don't like to end on death let okay, me good. let me look at the notes although we all will why did I write down clothes. <laughs> uh, J. Placenta, Crew. acid, absurd. <laughs> then there's just the things you recommended. I don't know. Longing for camp. You said reflection, CBD, the movie together. Uh, oh my god! Drunk stoned the national lampoon thing. Oh, we could do some greatest lesson things, uh, but you did so many of them. I, think I don't have that much to teach. I'm just a kid still. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so does your dad. Your dad thinks he's a kid too. You're right. Um, he is. We like to well, go ahead. No, that's not, well, he's an inspiration. He's 87 years old. He's running around, traveling, playing tennis. He's crazy. I love him. Yeah. What's his name? Norman Wayne. Norman, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, so. What's one of the hardest times you've ever laughed or laughed the hardest? Uh, at that bachelor party when we were doing shrooms. I believe it. And we went into the uh, Rembrandt Museum. And uh, I. Um, <laughs> I had a revelation about how he did his how he made etchings. Yeah. Which was that he had makes pencil sketch first. But that was like I just discovered the neutron bomb. I was just oh like so God. excited that I figured that out. But it doesn't even mean anything. And yeah. and I went to my friend and I was like, wait a minute, I've got to and I could not stop laughing. Oh my god. So I've had that may not count because it's chemically induced, but No, no, it counts. And oh my god, I was dying and everyone around the museum was like they were just, ro- rolling their eyes and oh my god but seeing a door on a door a doorknob on a door or or having a revelation about rembrandt i just kind of love anything that pushes that, us into that space even yeah. if it's the perfect cocktail of sleep or sleeplessness or sh- or maybe a sugary meal like if there's something that makes me really laugh at, at you know a it's a reason a re- well i laugh a lot at my kids yeah for sure um for example, my son, I, I uh, am buying, I got some little lawn chairs because tonight we're going to this outdoor movie and we have to have something to sit on. Oh, what's playing? Uh, home? 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 Is that the name of a kid's movie? Something like that? Up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and the, my son goes, well, that's good because next time we go to the beach, which I hate, I'll be able to relax. <laughs> But I'll tell you, I actually... <laughs> Which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me what? I, I don't think this is too... Um, I don't think this is, a, a, you know, not public. I, I think I can sure, say this. Sure, sure. Which is, I got to see sort of an early draft of the uh, movie that's going to come out later on 
uh, which is that Key and Peel are doing. Yeah. And I was doubling over. Oh, really? I mean, just doubling over. Oh, that's great. So that was exciting. I auditioned for that. What, what a missed opportunity for me. I feel like it was a missed <laughs> opportunity for them. <laughs> that's what I feel like. <laughs> I was not right for it. Sometimes because of my height, I'll get called in for like, like a Ken Marino type. Yeah, you know what I mean. That it's I'm supposed to be strapping or something, right? I'm just like, like, no, you're too sweet. Um, yeah, exactly. Just just have me be like, hey, and then <laughs> waving, blowing dandelion seeds. That's what I should be doing. Well, thank you so much, man. This was one of my uh, absolute favorite episodes. My ever. pleasure. Thank you for doing so it. So fun. Thank you. And uh, we always end with the guest saying, "Keep it crispy." Keep it crispy. <laughs> I don't know. I I thought maybe you wouldn't do it, and then you just dove right in. Did it? I'm gonna see that uh, trick now. Now leaving nerdist.com.